I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we take a look at our favorite book series growing up, The Babysitter's Club, one book at a time, deep diving into our history with them and where we are today. Um, and where we are today is someplace very exciting. We have made it up to super special number three, Babysitter's Winter Vacation. And we are lucky enough to have a super special guest this week. We have Jen Forbes with us today. I was lucky enough to get to know Jen when she was the fellow guest on the Friends in Your Ears podcast with me a couple of weeks ago. She hosts um, basically a kind of a sister podcast to ours um, called Oof! Right in the Childhood, where she is deep diving into the Disney back catalog, one movie at a time. So uh, we realized, wow, we're doing kind of the same. We're doing God's work, ruining your childhood <laughs> together. So uh, we thought we'd uh, bring her on and help her bring her uh, expertise to the Babysitter's Club book. So welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, you two. I am so glad to be here. I uh, The Babysitter's Club has a special place in my heart. And yeah, I, I absolutely love scrutinizing uh, these older um, publications and, and films and saying, oh, well, maybe that's where that preconception came from. And uh, boys, mm -hmm. the Babysitter's Club rife with those. <laughs> oh, yeah. All over the place. As we have definitely been discovering book by book, it seems like at least one thing comes up every conversation we have, like, oh, or like you would say, oof, right in the childhood. Like, oh, boy, I can't believe that was something I learned growing up. And it sort of got stuck in my brain looking back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> every so often I'll go, oh, yikes, where? Mm -mm. No. <laughs> There was definitely a big one of those in this book for me. I thought we were getting off pretty scot-free. Um, I mean, well, <laughs> everybody was kind of being a, an ass, but um, nobody was, you know, totally terrible. We didn't have any, you know, Camp Mohawk-esque shenanigans. Um, and then right at the end, oof, we got into some real sticky racial territory. So. Boy, did they. There was one specific thing that I noted that we'll get to there about about um, racial stuff. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. There's some, there's some big ones. So. Before we get ahead of ourselves and get too far into the book, Jen, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with the Babysitter's Club? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I I started reading really early, and I I got to the Babysitter's Club reading level when I was about in second grade, and so I know that's about the first time I picked one of these up, but it wasn't really for me at that time. You know, they're they're more aimed toward a little bit older. Uh, so I started actually kind of reading them around uh, fourth grade. Um, but I didn't get to read very many because I could read a babysitter's club in like less than an hour. So my parents wouldn't buy them for me. Uh, so I would mm -hmm. have to like check them out from the library, uh, to read them. And then, uh, you ha I had to read them in order because I've got just that compulsion in my brain. Uh, and, uh, that made it really, really hard to read them because if you picked up a super special and you're like, wait, wait, but this is where, where's this from? <laughs> I didn't know this. Yes. Uh, so I didn't read it as much as I wish I had. In fact, like, now that I've started kind of getting back into the Babysitter's Club, and, you know, it's kind of had this resurgence in popular culture, I have uh, kind of gone, ooh, I kind of want to go back and reread everything uh, from from their canon. Uh, and, yeah, it just kind of has that touchstone of, oh, I remember this. And it was like... Those, those years of, of, um, 
oh my gosh, what's the word? Innocence, like the the years where mm-hmm. where everything was just like so cut and dry and black and white, and I really kind of miss that. But at the same time, I'm glad I'm gone. I'm out of those. <laughs> yep, absolutely. A little more nuance these days. Yeah, yeah, so much. And it is really nice to read a book where, you know, you don't spend a whole chapter recounting who the characters are that you've already been reading 30 books about. Oh, my <laughs> or God. what exactly the Babysitter's Club is and what kids, kids are. Yeah. Every, <laughs> every, single, every single book I remember, I would get to that, you know, they have like the three pages of explaining what the Babysitter's Club and their entire history up until now. And I would just be like, and skip those three pages. Now we're on the real stuff. <laughs> right? Exactly. I know who Marianne Spears is. Come on. This was only like a paragraph. I was very nice. Although, as Lauren and I have realized in rereading all of these, there's a little bit of, like, a different way that each of the mm-hmm. girls describes the Babysitter's Club and each of the other girls. So it's it's kind of interesting looking at it now. But 100% when I was a kid, it was like, oh, I already know who everybody is. I don't give a shit. Like, I'm skipping ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that nowadays, like, I reread it in this one um, – just because I needed that refresher. But it was like, oh, this is much shorter than I remember. Because in like when I was a kid, it felt like it was just ages of backstory. And I was like, I don't wanna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, right? And it just got so repetitive. But yeah, I, it has been really fun to like, to see as an adult how they're written differently. But uh, it's still, uh, well, and it's, it's just like a weird, uh, like, some of the things that they choose to emphasize versus some of the things that they don't in which books and how, you know, how that mm-hmm. all, all plays out. Um, it is pretty fascinating, but it definitely was. I remember vividly as a kid, like, okay, skip that chapter. You don't even need to read that. Right. <laughs> nothing, nothing important is going to happen in there. So moving right along. The babysitter's um, backstory. That's what that should have just been <laughs> called. Like the babysitter's backstory. Here it is. <clears throat> yep. It feels kind of like, uh, previously on yeah. that, that we yep. get today. Um, yeah in a way that they almost kind of can like give you an indicator of what the book's going to be about because like of the things that they choose to talk about as the, as the background. But yeah, I mean, it makes total sense for a a series like this that they expect kids to put up and down, but Jen, I'm 1000% with you. I'm such a completist and such a person who needs to do things in order. I had to read them in order and I had to go library as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, I, let me tell you, the librarians were very sick of me because I sent <laughs> so many waiting lists. And I like, they're like, well, there's this next one available. And I was like, I don't want that one. I need this one. <laughs> they're like, oh, God, this kid. It was funny because the other the other series that I was really into was uh, the Boxcar Children. And they were Ooh, yeah. so much easier to, to obtain than Babysitter's Club because they weren't as popular. Um, and uh, I would really like, like, I've thought about this a few times. So like, I really want to go back and reread the boxcar children mm-hmm. too because i wonder how much is in that too um like i mean with nancy drew and the hardy boys i already know that there's going to be some problematic themes because they're from yep. the 50s uh mm-hmm. but these books from the 80s you you almost feel like you got off scot-free until you reread them and go oh i did not yeah, exactly that's really fascinating that's a great great point i loved the boxcar children oh did my god they're games? so good I think I have read like one. I I don't know if it was just because I was like reading other things and it just like didn't really catch my attention or something. But mm-hmm. it definitely it's something that I should have been more interested in. The same thing with like Sweet Valley High. Like I read maybe like one or two of those too, and it just like didn't. 
I don't know. It didn't catch hold in my brain in the same way that like the Babysitters Club or other things did. I, I it's really weird because both of those things, back Boscar Children and Sweet Valley High, are like totally things that I should have been fully invested in, and I somehow they passed me by, which makes no sense, and I have no well, idea how or why. But you know, they did. I was I was not a Sweet Valley High person either. I I was just kind of like mm, this wasn't their thing. But let me tell you the ultimate nineties. Childhood right here. Um, so my mom worked at a school. She was a uh, high school guidance counselor. And uh, it was kitty corner from the only library in my very small town. And so in the summer, because she couldn't just like leave me at home when I was 10, um, for reasons that I quite can't quite understand, <laughs> she would bring me to the school <laughs> while she had to do work. And I would wait until the library opened, walk over to the library, check out three <laughs> boxcar children, walk back and sit in the uh, school nurse's room and read all three books. And then when we went home, we would turn them into the library. And I did this every <laughs> single day for summer vacation one year. Oh, my, oh my God. That sounds like a dream I, summer that's vacation. That's what I was just going to say. I wish I could have done that. <laughs> But it's like, is that not the most 90s story you've ever heard? And then I walked to the library by myself at 10. Yep. I used to do that after school yep. and just go hang out in the library and like read in the corner by myself until it closed and someone would come pick me up. Mm -hmm. And like, yep, just wandering down the streets, just a little kid with my backpack yep. and no one, no one batted an eyelash. Like I'd walk into that library alone all the time. I actually have some statements about that in here. About how, oh, this was a different time. Definitely. <laughs> oh, for sure. This was a big one. We've been talking about that more and more recently about how, like, it started off pretty, maybe maybe not ultra realistic, but more realistic in guidelines of, like, I mean, there were initially conversations about how they couldn't actually babysit babies and how they thought, mm -hmm. you know, like, really some restrictions to now Christy's just, like, taken over literally everything. And, right. And the adults just happily let her. <laughs> <laughs> which is wild. You know, it's funny. I'm actually recording uh, the Black Cauldron episode very soon. And one of the reviews for the Black Cauldron, and we will get back into the Babysitter's Club, I swear, <laughs> is that it's uh, one of the reviewers said that it wasn't a very good movie because parents couldn't just like drop their six-year-olds off at the theater and leave them there because it might be too scary. And I was like, oh, 1983, <laughs> you were something. <laughs> Oh my god, that's hilarious. I'm very excited for that episode, by the way, because I know you called out that's the one Disney movie no one has seen. Um, that was one of my favorites as a kid. So that's the joke, though, is like, I, I, I'm actually gonna say, I know you've seen it, but really, how many other people do you know? <laughs> Fair point. I hadn't seen it until quarantine, when, when we started really? watching like all the movies we hadn't seen on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, that was the yeah, first time wow. I had seen it, like, just a few months ago. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I watched it for the first time last week when I wrote my script. Oh, my gosh. Which is a very exciting thing to do. Yes. And we're going to definitely get into that with some of these books. I know Kate's already come across a couple that she are new to her. But I, the Black Cauldron thing cracks me up because I was obsessed with that one. I thought it was a big one. I used to get it confused with Sword in the Stone, though, mm. for some reason. I, I got those two conflated in my head in a way. And so I genuinely didn't know that Black Cauldron was not a real popular one until <laughs> much, much later. <laughs> but honestly, I probably haven't seen it since I was a kid. I need to go back. That's I do remember it being dark and scary, though. It's dark and scary. And there's actually mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I, I'm still kind I haven't recorded it yet because I'm kind of sitting around going, what's the oof? Like, it's terrifying. It's straight up terrifying, but it's good. I mean, like, Taryn oh, says, good. oh, you can't do this. You're a girl. And Aloin, Aloini, Aloini, yeah, says, screw you. I can do this. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I love that they actually, well, we're getting ahead, but yeah, we sorry. actually used, had the word feminism happening in this oh, book, right? uh, this that. time, like an actual reference to it. So I was like, ooh, times are changing. And it was positive. <laughs> Which was a thing in the late eighties, <laughs> with this like, uh, okay, it's good, it's good, it's mm-hmm. good. Anyway, yeah, I think this might, I think this might be a little early because I that change to feminism being a bad word and that whole feminazi thing was really Rush Limbaugh in the early nineties. Mm, true. So this is probably just before feminism became a dirty word. Ugh. I'm so glad that that is getting reclaimed. Hopefully. I just, remember all those interviews a couple of years ago when it was like young starlets and they're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 I'm not a feminist. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I just believe that men and women should be equal. Right. <laughs> Dumbass. Like, I love you so much, but no. Yeah. It was, it's like an aversion to the word, but not the concept, which is right. just exactly. silly. <laughs> but that's what, well, the right is very, very good at weaponizing terms. Boy, are so they. It's, credit Definitely. is credit is due. Speaking of weaponizing words, everybody was kind of snot, like, not snotty, I guess, but I, we're definitely going to get into what everybody was doing in this book. But I thought everybody was had their like ups and downs, which I guess is true for for all of the books. But did did you have anybody either reading this time or especially as a kid that you really identified with that was like when they acted poorly? Because for um, the reason I'm asking is because like reading this one when Christie's being an asshole, um, I get. <clears throat> or any of them, really, I get like this internal pang because I identify so much with her where it's I'm I'm almost embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. But that's, a, you know, me over classic me over relating to everything. So what about you? What level did you relate? And uh, who who did you relate with most? I was definitely the Marianne. My parents were very protective. And, um, you know, like, apart from allowing me to just wander over to the library whenever I wanted, like I was an only child. Uh, my parents were, you know, both alive and still married, uh, but they were very, very like sheltery kind of things. And so mm-hmm. like I knew people that were um, loud and outspoken, but uh, I wasn't supposed to be. That was unladylike. Uh, so I was mm-hmm. very, I was very quiet and, and subdued and had a really hard time um, advocating for myself. And so Marianne really, really spoke to me and I didn't have all those words then. But now like when I reread it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is why I was so Marianne-y uh, back then, why I was so pro Marianne. She doesn't know how to say no this is not a healthy boundary. We're going to set a new one. And uh, yeah, I was very deeply into Marianne. But the one that that I really connected with as a weird thing is I was a Janine. Really? Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that too. You're the first person who's told us that. When I, when I, I still remember when I read Claudia and Mean Janine and I could see what Janine was getting at and what she was trying to say and that, that Claudia was just kind of being a dick to her and I was just like no no she's just she's trying to help I see where she's going with this and I really wanted to be Janine I was like I was and I I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm bragging but like I was pretty smart and um, I excelled at things like computers and science and no one that I knew got it uh, my parents mm-hmm. got me a microscope when I was eight and it became my best friend for a few years I taught myself HTML in 1993 
you know, things like that. And when I would read Janine doing this, I really connected with her. So I never like got the villainizing of uh, that she gave Claudia. And I really do want to talk about uh, Claudia and me realizing that I'm a little bit more Claudia than I thought I was back then. Oh, I love that because I have, have, have realized how I wanted to be Claudia and had to realize how not like Claudia I am. <laughs> so what parts of Claudia speak to you now as an adult? Well, this was after me rereading this and, and listening to a few episodes and thinking about I think Claudia has a learning disability that she doesn't know about. That's interesting. We've talked a little bit about that as a possibility, but very briefly. Yeah, I think she has some dyslexia, and I think she's got some ADHD. Um, and I was undiagnosed ADHD until uh, three years ago. And a lot of the way she acts in this book, and uh, I, the more I realized, I was like, oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I, I did that too. And so I think that she annoyed me so much when I was a kid because she embodied all of these things I didn't like about myself that I, I couldn't necessarily spell all the time. I got much better because of a teacher bullying me. That was great. But like, I, I recognized like her flightiness and, and, uh, like artsy side and how she gets like super into something and is like, Oh no, I hate this and I don't want to do it anymore. And I was like, Oh. I think Claudia might have some ADHD and dyslexia going on. That's really fascinating. I'm also ADHD and was undiagnosed until I was in my late 20s. And I haven't really looked at Claudia too much through that lens. We, Kate, we had talked about dyslexia maybe or some kind of reading disorder didn't we at one point maybe during me Janine yeah I'm I remember bringing that up and I I think <laughs> I think your response was that you thought she just had a motivation problem but so Could I be. I don't know but I I mean I think that's definitely a thought that I've had as particularly when it comes to the spelling because and I don't I don't know you know who's writing her journal entries and the way that they choose to spell or misspell things but in those entries she'll misspell the same word different ways and I think mm -hmm. that 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 was where I was coming from in sort of that feeling that maybe there was some kind of learning disability or dyslexia or something like that because I think that in particular was sort of what stood out to me because I don't know that that's necessarily you know she just doesn't want to write as clearly um and I I actually really appreciated what you just said, said Jen about you know her sort of changing topics and you know maybe not having the focus that one would expect and I think that's really interesting because I am not ADHD so I don't have the same sort of interpretation that you guys might so it's really it's always interesting for me to hear other people's sort of viewpoints on things like that when it comes to how prequels brains work and how characters brains might work because I'm coming at it from sort of an outsider perspective so I don't necessarily get all the nuance that you just explained and I think that was really interesting for me to hear for sure. So the thing that I saw in this one and 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 that thing about motivation, I think that's a real big thing that a lot of people talk about with ADHD kids is that they just don't have the motivation to learn this thing or that. Say. And and the realis realism is is that they have found something that is really, really hard and they hate things that are hard and they want to do something that gives them dopamine instead of learning the thing that is hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so they just don't. And it's not that they're not motivated. It's just that they don't have they aren't capable of having that intrinsic motivation that other people do. Uh, like I said, the only reason I learned to spell and I was about Claudia's age when this happened was that a teacher shamed me uh, for not knowing how to spell every Ugh, day wow. for an entire year. And I learned to spell. 
because that was like, that was the extrinsic motivation that I needed to be able to be like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to be obsessive about my spelling. And now I'm like hyper obsessive about my spelling. Um, I will reread oh. and reread and reread something to make sure that my spelling is right. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, has never like he, when I asked him when I was a kid, I said, dad, how do you spell dinosaur? I was like, I don't know, eight. And he looked at me and he was like, D-I-C-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y. And just like walked away. <laughs> and I just kind of stood there for a second. I was like, that, that d- doesn't seem that right. That doesn't seem right. And my mom was like, Mel. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> but like he looks everything up. He runs everything through spell check. He is very grateful for the spell check revolution. But like. I, I'm married to a person like I was really hyper obsessive about spelling and grammar for a long time. And then I fell in love with someone who has severe uh, learning, uh, visual learning d- disabilities, like cannot comprehend how spelling works. Mm-hmm. And so I learned to read his writing. My husband is actually considered by the Canadian school system to be illiterate, oh, wow. uh, but he can read he can read very large books and write things, but I have watched him write things to me. And yeah, he spells things six different ways in the same day um, because that's how his brain recombobulated the word this time. And uh, my, my mm-hmm. best friend is also dyslexic, uh, not as severe as my husband. Um, and he will spell the same word six ways. And um, we have we have kind of had a, a good laugh, him and me. My husband's not as good about laughing about it because – um, he's kind of been treated like shit by the s- school system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he doesn't understand grammar. He doesn't understand how spelling works. And I was watching in these journal entries with Claudia about how she would, when a word was important, she would go and find someone to tell her how it was spelled. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. And I was like, she cares that there are words she cares about and there are words she doesn't. <laughs> You know what's so interesting about all of this is I'm having a very big therapy moment right now because uh, – talk about an oof moment. The the whole fact that not you know that long ago, 20 books I guess, that I was talking about that as a motivation issue because that is literally what we are talking about for myself in therapy about how I keep framing it as a motivation issue and like – am in denial about the effect of ADHD <laughs> on me or like have to downplay it. So t- yeah, like I said, talk about an oof moment. I just had a very like, let, okay. Let I me tell you, em- embrace your ADHD and all of a sudden you will hate yourself less. <laughs> I'm working on that part. No, I'm serious. Like every time I, I look up something like, oh, well, that's a symptom of ADHD. And I've hated myself for that for 30 years. Oh. Yeah, it's a really good point. I'm super excited to have that perspective because it is one of those things that like, like Kate said, you only have your own point of view. You only have your own perspective. And so little was known about girls in ADHD. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that women get diagnosed so so late because it presents differently. That's so – you're right. So much of what I do place judgment on myself from comes from that messaging that I got as a kid. That if I, I was just lacking motivation, that I was just lazy, that, you know, that I was just couldn't stop talking and like all of that stuff, all of the things that I struggled with – 
are really simply tied to that. If anybody, if it was a different time period, if somebody knew what to be looking out for, I think it would have been totally different. But it just goes to show how those childhood messages continue to impact you throughout your whole life, which I think is really key when thinking about why it's important that we do podcasts like the ones that we do, because it is important to realize like all the messaging we got from these books, all these these things that shaped us and, and built us. And I, I think it's a really, really fascinating different perspective so on Claudia that I can't wait to start looking out more. I have a feeling you just created a light switch moment for me where I'm now going to go, aha, aha, all over the place. I did that. Well, it, it, that's the thing is like, and I think that these books are like, you know, we talk about these preconceptions and these biases that we've developed from all these childhood things that we loved and they 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 treat claudia like crap for you Mm -hmm. know her grades and whatnot but i was kind of proud of like i remember in claudia and mean janine that her parents kind of just all of a sudden had that light bulb moment of claudia has things that janine doesn't and we can't hold them to the same Mm -hmm. the same standards and because i didn't have a sibling i didn't have someone for my parents to compare me to except for they were both they were both teachers okay y'all gotcha (laughs) (laughs) they were both teachers my dad was a band director my mom has taught everything but second grade uh she did the full gambit of every class and then she became a guidance counselor and so all they could do is like compare me to their students and I was different than the highest achieving students and I kind of see that with with Claudia and Janine and but her parents kind of came to that moment of like oh well this is important but also the things that she does are important as well and I'm, I'm really glad that the Kichis had that moment uh with her and I know that it goes back and forth with them and they they still try to get her to you know make A's on on math but I am glad that they they tried and but I do think that that's something that has stuck with me of like well you know Claudia's parents had problems with her and um I wanted to excel so I I was bad kind of thing yeah Ugh, it sucks how much we internalize that shit. Oh, yeah. It just sticks around forever. Yeah. So I think what you just said, Jen, is actually really interesting because I think that the show on the Netflix show did that even better than the books did. You know, the, mm-hmm. the basically the, you know, dramatization of Claudia and me and Janine. I feel like we really got to see a lot more from the Kishi parents and from Janine's perspective. And I really appreciated that the show did such a good job of sort of showing the Kishis coming to that realization that, you know, Claudia is a very different person and child than Janine and, you know, realizing that they need to sort of view them as different, distinct people. And I, I, I really love that too, you know, that we get to see that. And so I think obviously, I think you said you have seen the show. So I don't know if you had any sort of general overarching thoughts or questions, comments, concerns about the show before we move over to talk about this book specifically. You know, I watched every episode as soon as it came out. I was so excited about it. Um, at first, I thought that they were doing an actual, like, from the 80s thing. And then I was actually more excited to find out that they had done a modernization. And I had that phone, by the way. Mm-hmm. Who didn't have that phone? <laughs> But I think that the Netflix series has done a really great job of both modernizing and honoring the the roots of uh, the Babysitter's Club. I mean, one of the very first things I said and uh, when I was watching the show was, oh, my God, Marianne's black. That's great. Like, that's the very first thing I said, not, oh, my God, why would they do that? Because they made such a big deal. And, and we'll talk about this uh, in when we get into the book a little bit more about – how Jesse was black and how that was so weird 
in their community. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. really appreciated that, like, they, they brought, uh, you know, Marianne as a, as a mixed race individual. Um, and that they had taken that care and time to actually think about how would this be portrayed today? Because in the eighties, mm-hmm. the big, topics of the day were different than the big topics of now and like as i mm-hmm. and i like it's been a while since i watched it now i feel like there's also um a discussion of homosexuality at some point well there is a, a marianne babysits for a, a trans girl that's right that's what the thing was and i think dr johansson's married to a woman who's i think the gym teacher at their school Maybe not gym teacher. Maybe that's me <laughs> putting some eighties uh, stereotyping on it. But yeah, there's there's definitely the show is much more diverse in you know race, ethnicity, you know nationality, gender mm-hmm. expression. I think yeah, I, I, they really did a great job of sort of thinking about what an actual community would look like and what they wanted that community to look like on TV for kids that might be watching it, as opposed to these books where it's like. You know, there, there's one Japanese American girl and there's one black girl and it's always sort of commented on that they're different. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the show, they do such a great job of it's like, these are just who these girls are and this is the community that they're in. And it's not like a, you know, capital T thing that has to right. be necessarily commented on every single time somebody shows up that doesn't look exactly like the character who's narrating the episode. You know, that, that Marianne saves the day one with, with the, with the trans child. I, I've actually forgotten what the original Marianne Saves the Day book was about, and I do not care. Like, that was <laughs> such an amazing moment to, like, take the doctor out and say, you're going to use the right pronouns on that little girl, or we're going to find a different doctor. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, Marianne. <laughs> That's what we're talking right? about. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I know that I've already listened to your episode on Marianne Saves the Day and I've already forgotten what it's about completely because it doesn't matter. That was a better version. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely yeah. agree. I'm trying to think. It was like a fever. That was pretty much it. <laughs> there, it there was, was no real. Nothing is what it was compared to there was a trans child that needed to be treated with respect. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was one of the earliest books. So we were still in very like small scale stakes territory mm. as opposed to say uh, the book we're going to talk about today where like we open with massive things happening like car accidents not just car accidents overturned buses (laughs) yeah it's so wild how it it is escalated so quickly so with that in mind let's actually get into the book because i cannot wait to talk about it i enjoyed reading it so much but i have a lot of thoughts i have so many thoughts (laughs) i have 10 pages of notes I don't think I've ever taken notes on a babysitter's club book, but I have them. I have pictures and underlines and what's a lot. Yep. (laughs) You are not alone. (laughs) We haven't released the episode yet, but the one we recorded last week, I literally had a what the fuck list. Oh my God. (laughs) I went down. (laughs) I should have had that. I should have. I meant to condense all this to have like just like a whole like, why? Why is this a thing? What kind of post-apocalyptic nightmare are we living in? Yeah, it's great. All right. So as I mentioned at the top, this is super special number three, The Babysitter's Winter Vacation, exclamation point. It was released December 1989. Actually, Anne M. Martin wrote this one as well. I I feel like we need to actually, like, that's her name, actually Anne, um, at this point, since (laughs) (laughs) that's just how I always say it. So let's see what the back of the book tells us to expect. Every year, Stony Brook Middle School the whole school, gets invited to Leicester Lodge in Vermont for a week of winter adventure. This trip sure isn't like any other. 
A busload of little kids unexpectedly needs babysitters. Marianne uncovers a ghost in the lodge. Claudia and Stacy both fall in love with handsome French skiers. Christy is helping her team win the Winter War, while California Dawn can barely stand up in her skates. And if it doesn't stop snowing, SMS may be snowbound until spring. That's a a little bit over the top. (laughs) Right? And, uh, like, the whole ghost thing, well, we'll get to that when we get into it, but, like... That was just such a half-hearted attempt to make a ghost thing, like a ghost story, happen. That it just seems like a really weird thing to mention on the back because that really wasn't Mary Ann's story at all. It was just her pining for Logan. Oh my god! I want to have like a discussion with Anne Martin about what her obsession with ghosts is because there's a lot in all of these books where it's like, oh, it's haunted, or and maybe it's just because they're thirteen. And I, I guess like when I was twelve, I was thirteen, say, yeah. everything was scary, and I watched unsolved mysteries and uh, at night with all the lights off while my parents were all out and then you know something would move and I was going to die immediately. I think you're right. I think that is mm-hmm. just sort of like a junior high thing where like ghost stories and like trying to freak each other out was just very at least it was very much a part of my experience of that. So I, I said in the back of the book I pronounced it Leicester Lodge. Uh, is that how you guys were reading it? It's spelled L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. So that could be pronounced a couple of different ways. I pronounced it Leicester because I'm pretty sure it, that's the same way as it's spelled in like Leicester Square in London. So that's where that I came from. Right. But I wasn't sure if they did pronounce it the same way because like, for example, Versailles in Ohio <laughs> is named after Versailles, but it is pronounced Versailles. But I, I feel like you're probably right, Kate. Yeah, I don't know. I read it. Uh, well, the first time I read it, I think I read it Leicester. And then as I do with so many names that I don't really know, I just skipped it. I was like, The Lodge. Yep, that's kind of <laughs> how I approached it, too. And I was like, but is it not offensive? Good. Check. Moving on. Right. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a step ahead of summer camp um, that they brought up like 17 different times. And every time they brought up Camp Mohawk. Oh, yeah. Every time they brought it up, I was like, oh, no. Oh, boy. All right. Well, let's buckle in, Kate, because... <laughs> My very, very long descriptions. I cannot wait. <laughs> As a reminder to everyone, since this is a super special, that means we have narration and different plot lines for all seven of our Babysitter's Club girls. So it's going to be a minute. So <laughs> just like Lauren said, <laughs> buckle in. I'll give you guys the update on what happens in this book because there's a lot. So the overarching plot here. Every year, Stony Brook Middle School goes on a week-long trip to Leicester Lodge, a ski lodge in Hooksett Crossing, Vermont. It's a mandatory trip for all students, unless you have a convenient excuse like Logan that it's the same week as a family vacation to Aruba. Everyone from SMS is split into two teams to compete in the Winter War, which includes five competitions, ice skating, snow sculpture, snowball fight, downhill skiing, and cross-country skiing. The weather on the trip to the lodge is pretty treacherous, with one of the Stony Brook buses hitting an embankment and the bus from an elementary school from Conway Cove, Maine, going off the road and flipping over. The second bus crash results in the Babysitter's Club volunteering to watch the 16 elementary school kids for the week so they didn't have to get sent home. There are ups and downs for everyone over the course of the week, all recorded dutifully by the members of the Babysitter's Club for Marianne to turn into a book for Logan so he knows what he missed. Okay, so Christy, 
Christy is in charge of organizing the Winter War, and while she clearly does a good job generally, she gets overly competitive since she's also the captain of one of the teams. She and Claudia have an ongoing rivalry, particularly when it comes to skiing skills, and Christy ends up going too far in motivating team members to cross-country ski for the team, pushing a boy named Jay with no experience to participate, where he ends up breaking his leg in a fall. He gets over it, and Christy gets over her guilt, and they dance together at the dance on the final night at the lodge. Claudia. Claudia is a judge for the snow sculpture contest and realizes she hates judging people she actually knows. She also repeatedly shows her extreme ski skills, taking several lessons with a ski instructor named Guy, who gets super into her abilities and success, which leads Claudia to developing a crush and reassuring herself that a 25-year-old probably isn't too old for her. Her dreams are dashed, however, when Guy shows up to lunch with his whole family, including two kids and a gorgeous wife. Claudia consoles herself thinking of Will from camp last summer and recognizing her superior skiing capabilities. She gets postcards from both Will and Guy following their return to Stony Brook. Stacy. Stacy has a sort of meet-cute with a boy named Pierre who follows too closely while skiing and who falls on her when she falls while turning to tell him to stop. They're both in love and spend the entire week together, including at the dance, although not exclusively because that would be rude. Ending the <laughs> dance with an exchange of addresses and a kiss. I really did love that Stacy was like, I love we that. didn't we didn't want to be rude, so we made sure to switch up dance partners occasionally. Oh, like who, ca- so who cares, Stacy? Like you guys could have just spent the whole yeah. night together and no one would have cared, but thank you for being so considerate of everyone else's feelings. Um, okay, Marianne. Marianne's got probably the longest plot here because she's she's the sort of bookend narrator who does the intro and the epilogue. So she's got a little bit more going on. She's also the one in charge of why they're doing this narr- or documentation of this entire trip. So Marianne's plot is twofold. First, she obsesses over Logan for the duration of the book, working herself up thinking of all the beautiful girls he's meeting in Aruba on his trip. Logan, of course, calls her at the lodge long distance, so that allays her fears, and she starts realizing she needs to pull herself out of it. And second, Marianne volunteered to be the quote-unquote historian for the trip, which is apparently a position someone is supposed to fill each year, but which has gone unfilled for at least the last two years. Marianne's job as historian is to research the lodge and the town and write up a paper on it. This assignment makes no sense, but it does give Marianne an opportunity to discover a ghost story at the lodge stemming from a death in the 1930s of a man whose relatives thought he was evil, question mark. It doesn't make much (laughs) sense, but it's entertaining watching Marianne work herself up about the ghost instead of about Logan. And as a nice side note for Marianne, she has a nice moment with their former gym teacher who she thought hated her. Dawn. Dawn has some issues in the Winter War competitions and gets super embarrassed, eventually avoiding everyone because of it. In particular, Dawn fights with Marianne because she thinks Marianne isn't being sympathetic enough. But eventually, after talking to a girl named Pinky from Conway Cove, who has been a dick to everyone because she's homesick, (laughs) realizes she's mostly just upset about being embarrassed in front of her classmates, and she loosens up and has fun, although she does refuse to participate in cross-country skiing. Jesse. Jesse is in charge of talent night, including deciding who gets to perform their talents and writing a skit and choreographing a dance for everyone else who wants to participate to do. She has a lot of responsibility and also decides to dance her swan leg dance as the SMS closer closer for the show, right before the Conway Cove kids do a skit about their teachers. She finally feels like she fits in and people get her as she wraps up her performance and brings the house down. She also has some difficulty with Pinky, but interprets it as racism, like her shitty neighbor, rather than Pinky just being a jerk to everyone due to her insecurities. As a side note about Talent Night, it starts with a full hour of teachers telling horror <laughs> stories, and there's no ability to opt out, and I have a lot of thoughts about that, but we'll put I a pin in that too. so I can I tell you guys about Mallory. Yeah, yeah. Put a pin in that. Yeah. 
So we'll we'll cycle back to that in just a moment. So mm. Mallory. Oh, Mallory. Mallory has the yeah. same basic story as Babysitters on Board, where she decides to spy on everyone around her and keep notes. This time, however, she ends up interpreting what she sees and lets her imagination run wild with what it all means, including thinking the cook is trying to kill all of them and that their gym teacher is in love with their vice principal unrequitedly. Mallory also dreads the dance all week, but ends up spending the entire night dancing with a boy from her math class. Whew. They didn't make room for other people. Was that rude of them, Stacey? <laughs> Oh, my God. See, I yeah. feel like with Stacey, she felt like they couldn't be exclusive because they were in love, and that would just make everyone feel extra sad. Like sad. Whereas Mallory's just dancing with some random dude. I, I That makes no sense. I'm just trying to come up with something that sort of I makes know. sense. But Mal- Mallory of all of them, so like, Mallory was like the throw-in random person. Like Mallory and Dawn kind of mm-hmm. felt like they didn't really belong here. It's just like, well, they have to be here, so we'll give them something. <laughs> That's definitely, like, a trend that we've seen in the other super specials we've read. It's, like, there's, like, five actual stories, and then the other two narrators are just sort of, like, tacked on. Like, we need other people to talk. So, you know, as, and especially here where it's all all of the Babysitter's Club, because I think in the other ones, you know, I think in Babysitter's on board, like, I don't know, Karen was one of the narrators. So oh it's, God. like, here it's, yeah. like, we have to have all the Babysitter's Club in and everybody's doing something except for Mallory and Dawn who are just sort of, like – there <laughs> and Mallory, we can't even yeah. come up with a new storyline. So you're just going to get the same thing as Babysitters on Board. The end. <laughs> I know it was so blatant of a ripoff. It's like literally hits the exact. Same she thing. even yeah. says it. She even says, yeah. "I'm doing the same thing I did when we went on our vacation cruise." <laughs> like, oh, okay. You're so you're going to hang a lantern on that for us. Thank you. Thank you. So can we first? Can we just start off talking about the fact that there is a mandatory trip for a week for 12 and 13 year olds that is somehow free and they have to do all this stuff i mean like a they all seem to think it's great but like what post-apocalyptic crap is oh you must go on this trip unless you have a pre-existing vacation to aruba which by the way lucky logan i'm fine with that but like every time i kept reading (laughs) it's required i was like what kind of what no. <laughs> the whole thing is just seemed so strange. So we've been talking more and more about these socioeconomic issues <laughs> of like how how they do and don't show up. And this is I I think just such a huge one because like there's enough money in this school district to take the entire school on a week ski resort vacation for free. And like, they do acknowledge that the Georges, you know, donate some part of it. And that's, you know, that that's sort of how they run the lodge. But like, well, the parents are also asked to make donations and then the Georges make up the difference. But but still like any, any trip I took in, I don't think I took, I guess maybe I took a trip in like middle school, but for the most part, we only took trips in high school, but it was like, you had like, when we went on the choir trip, like I had to like sell Mm -hmm. fruit. And like a fundraiser Mm -hmm. and anything that I couldn't sell, like any amount that I wasn't able to make up through my sales, like my parents would have to write a check for that amount. Like no one was like giving it away for free. Like no, no lodge owners were like, oh, yeah, sure. We'll we'll make up the difference. Like what? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like like what is their business model? How are they staying in business? Because they seem to only host these school trips. 
so what is the economy? And like they, they there? gave it like we haven't even talked about the elementary school, but like they gave them mm-hmm. this trip. It's like you read seventy six books, Pinky. So here, have a week long vacation far away from your family. By the way, I I, I just cut, I've made several notes in here that like maybe they eat people. Um, maybe they're stealing <laughs> children. Uh, maybe maybe Mallory wasn't crash. wrong about the cook being sinister. Right? Yeah, right. Like, he's not trying to kill people. He's cooking people. I don't know. They never like there were three three teachers on that bus, and they all got off scot free, or did they? Uh, like there, I had so many questions <laughs> about the Georges throughout. Like for the first few chapters, I was like, wait, how? But that's. That's not how this works. So strange. And like that whole bus of kids only had three teachers. Right? For well, there were six, only 16 six and seven kids. kids. No, no. Those, those That's were, true, I guess. Well, there were only 16 kids and they weren't sixth and seventh graders. They were like, they were little, weren't they? Six and seven year olds. I'm sorry. I was like, and also, I, I went on a lot of trips uh, as a kid, but I cannot in a million years imagine my parents sending me multiple states away to go skiing without them like for a week like i think the georges eat people yeah um starting strong with the theories i love it the bus the bus wreck was like just like a way to get i don't know there's nothing about this makes sense and they keep talking about like the winter war is required at but unless you're marianne and you're the historian or you're mallory and you just don't want to um (laughs) yeah and like the Winter War, is that something that the Lodges do? Or it just sounds like something that Christy is putting on. Um, well, and also, like the, the very beginning of the book, they talk about how there's always, there's this winter carnival, and the Winter War is part of the carnival, but then there's, like, literally nothing about any kind of no carnival right? thing. Yeah. Because I, I, I feel like in the beginning of the book, when Marianne's sort of, like, explaining, she says that, like, the Georges put on this winter carnival for everybody that comes, and then the Winter War is, like, Stony Brook's Part specific thing that they do as like a separate ca- like contest just for them, but like, what's this carnival thing? Right? <laughs> like, I, there was they, no carnival to be had. People, that's what they do. Uh, but like, <laughs> I, I noted that like they said, there's a lot of other guests and that they don't mind the Winter War, and I was like, I bet they do though. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, if I were a guest at a ski lodge that I was paying extra for because they wanted to give away a bunch of rooms to bratty kids, and they were running around chucking snowballs at each other all day, I would be annoyed. You're like, mm-hmm. um, it, the, the whole thing just was so strange. And, like, you're exactly right that – so it it starts with the babysitters, like, heading up there, and there, there's all this talk of this upcoming blizzard, and then they have a small accident. They run into a snow embankment. Nobody's hurt. They're able to, like, push the bus out and keep going. They were just swerved to avoid a deer, but it sort of lays the groundwork because then this bus of six- and seven-year-olds overturns, um, almost killing the driver. He gets a really bad accident uh, – leg break, sorry, in the accident – and then the two teachers walk two miles in the blizzard to the lodge and, like, literally fall in the doors dramatically. <laughs> the, the teacher, like, literally opens – the doors bust open and he collapses. And you can practically hear the, like, the gasp that they use in all TV shows or, mm-hmm. like, movies or whatever. The orchestra sting, um, like, ding! Yeah. <gasps> and, like, that that is – I just described the setup of a horror mm-hmm. I did not describe the first chap- couple chapters of a Babysitter's Club book. I told you about Ski Death 17. Right, and right. how it starts. <laughs> like, 
so intense for the, especially for these books. And then, like, they're talking about if the, like, so th- these two teachers, one breaks her arm and one breaks his ribs, and they have to be taken to the infirmary, and they're like, well, we'll just have to send all these small children home. And it's like, but, but the, the road literally right, tried how? to kill them. Right. In how? What? <laughs> like, what, what was your plan here? No. <laughs> and then I love that they're like, okay, we need to send some adults. We need to go get, you know, help these kids at the crash. And Christy Thomas. Oh my God. God love her. Just. Just steps up and goes, no, we got this. And every adult is like, sure. And I'm like, okay. Their math teacher in particular says like, yeah, they're really good with kids. This is a great idea. And it's like, they're they're 13 and 11. Like, no, send some real adults. (laughs) Like, right? These are traumatized children who've just been in a major bus accident and been sitting in the cold for a couple of hours, like scared and alone with a a rapidly like deteriorating bus driver. And you're going to send... Some thirteen-year-old kids, right? What? And I, I like, like that, that was the first uh, Christy eye roll moment for for me, and I had several um, of oh, like, yeah. oh, we'll just do it, and like, didn't like talk to anyone. She's just like, yeah, we're gonna do it, yeah, and and like everybody's fully on board, yeah. Well, and Christy also in her narration is like. I knew the club members were nervous but in control. Not one of them minded that I had volunteered our services. Children come first where we're concerned. And we've handled pretty many emergencies, as well as large groups of children. This was something we had to do. It's like, Christy, get over yourself. And also, I don't care if – I mean, I've said on this podcast before, I babysat a ton. I – was great with kids. I'm, I mean, I'm still great with kids, but like as a teenager, I was great with kids. And I, even I wouldn't be like, yes, please send me. I, I definitely know what to do in this situation. Like, yeah, this Christy, is a great time for me fell. to stay at the lodge and let the, the adults handle the situation. Uh, but like I, I wrote down, they get there and someone has clearly called 911 because there's an ambulance and a cop. And this cop is surrounded by 16 freezing children and has done nothing to help them. He's just like standing there looking lost because no adults know how to do anything in the BSC thing. And they just like, and the girls just walk up and take them and walk them away. And the cop does nothing like, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Strange children came up and took the younger children. This is fine. Goodbye. Like what, what is happening? (laughs) They literally, Christy even says that the cop look relieved. Yeah. I'm like, mm, on what planet is a cop going to be like, oh, good, the 13-year-olds are here. <laughs> I'm just going to leave these children in their care. Whew, more children to deal with these other children. Just what I needed. Like, yeah. the thing is, I understand it would absolutely make sense for them to volunteer their services, like helping in some small ways with these kids. I get that 100%. But they just sort of like all the other teachers, what the hell are they doing? Because they just kind of say, sure, you guys can handle them. And they like bunk with these kids. And then they're responsible for getting their clothed into the dining hall. Like even at one point, the big bad gym teacher that Marianne thinks hates her, Miss Halliday, she stops in. It's like, you know, I'm here to help. Sees them all struggling with these kids clothes and goes, all right, see you down there and leaves. <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening? Why, why are all these adults so quick to cede absolute control to 13-year-old girls. I mean, so that's like when I was saying earlier about the it like extreme maturity versus immaturity, mm-hmm. like weird dichotomy that's happening is because that speaks to obviously a level of like way, way, way too mature for 13-year-olds. But then at the same time, the way that they approach romance especially mm-hmm. is, is very – It's very 13. Immature. I mean, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. But even still, like – 
so I went, we, we didn't have like a ski trip or anything, but we did have one big class trip in junior high. And it was for a week. We certainly had to pay for it. But we went to Washington, D.C. So it was like an educational trip. It wasn't like, here, go play in the snow for five days. It was, you know, let's go to the Holocaust Museum. Let's go mm-hmm. to the monuments, all of that stuff. So it was an actual, like, class trip. And I will tell you what, the number of people who got caught, like, making out on that trip or, like, trying to sneak off and, you know, 14-year-old style mm-hmm. fool around a little bit was huge. Oh, like, yeah. that was sort of, like, that what that trip was known for. Like, the, the teachers, she's like, uh, at one point in this book, they're like, oh, yeah, the teachers kind of blend into the woodwork. I was like, oh, my God. On our trip, the teachers were everywhere, everywhere because it was a bunch of 14-year-old hormone bombs away from home in hotels, on buses. There were only a couple of teachers. We, You know, everything was going on. And, and then in this, like – Mallory's dying to know what happens between a boy and a girl when they kiss. Like Stacy I, I is probably that's what she's doing, but they even but they keep it like, you know, very very innocent in the in the description or just they basically just don't really talk about Stacy and Pierre and what they're up to all very much. Mm-hmm. She she introduces the meet cute and then we talk about the dance and then them going home, but like in between, everyone's just like nobody really saw Stacy this week. So I'm <laughs> sure she's off in, you know, corners making out with Pierre. But I, at one point, they said that, like, I hope my brothers and Mallory says, I hope my brothers and sisters don't read this right. journal because this is very adult for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's very adult that <laughs> she's unrequited love with a teacher who you've decided just because you saw her crying? That's what's happened. Yeah. So like that that level of Mallory being like perfectly capable and very responsibly taking care of 16 small children on one hand and on the other she's following everybody around trying to spy literally says but i'm only gonna write facts and make no (laughs) judgments to which i I, I immediately went okay so that's this plot line is all about her making jumping to judgments and sure enough she's like it's a fact she's crying so it's a fact that she's in unrequited love with the vice principal who doesn't love her back right like just so over the top not even to mention the you know killer oh cook which he was um, sprinkling an unlabeled jar is, like really really yeah i mean that's a i did appreciate right though there. that mallory realizes that she has i think she even says like i because her whole thing was like i need to hone my observational skills and at the end she's like yeah i didn't so much need to hone them as like acquire them in the first place <laughs> so i did appreciate that mallory was very like thoughtful and realized like oh <laughs> you know i said i was going to be factual i realized that i was unable to do that because i immediately jumped to conclusions and interpreted things in wildly imaginative ways that were not based in any way in fact so i i did Very appreciate true. her sort of arc if you could call it that of at least learning something from herself and her week of terrible terrible spying <laughs> But as I recall, she didn't learn anything except for just this book. She she keeps doing that, <laughs> I think. Yeah, exactly. Don't worry. The next super special will have Mallory <laughs> spying on people. Right back out. Yeah. Right back yeah, to the, yeah. the spying well for Mallory because they can't come up with something else. Like even calling this exact same Harriet the Spy reference out all over mm-hmm. again. Uh, like it was it – was, such a retread. It was hilarious. I remember thinking that Mallory was like the boring, most boring person in all of these books. Like, at least everyone else had something interesting about them. Um, Dawn kind of felt cardboardy for a lot of it, but ever so often she'd like pop into three dimensional characters. But Mallory, every time I read one of these was like, ah, crap, it's a Mallory book. Uh- <laughs> we have had a serious re 
contextualizing of Mallory and rereading these. This book is not a good example of it, though. (laughs) No, no, it really isn't. But in general, she's much better. Mm -hmm. We also had to rethink our position on Janine going Mm -hmm. in. Like, I thought it was so interesting that you that you identified so much with her because that has been one of the really fun parts for Kate and I. And one of, for me personally, one of the things that I loved most about the Netflix show was getting a completely different take on Janine. So it, it's it's interesting to read them with adult eyes because I very much felt the same way. And then, of course, I'm we have just been hyping up so much how Mallory, Mallory, Mallory. And then we get to this book and I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, this is why this is why I hated Mallory yeah. because of of obnoxious shit like this and then like being so stressed out about this stupid dance like it was it was so over the top i mean not as over the top as marianne's aruba mooning but um it's pretty close though like every time we hear from mallory she's like wishing that you know they have to get sent home early because there's going to be more snow or you know wishing that because jay broke his ankle they canceled the dance in you know solidarity with him because he can't (laughs) dance except that we do see him dancing at the dance and it's all just because she quote unquote doesn't know how to dance and it's like mallory nobody knows how to dance when they're 11 and even jesse knowing how to dance is ballet like she doesn't know everything none of these girls knows everything like you should understand that by now. But no, we get Mallory freaking out over a dance where you don't even have to dance if you don't want to. <laughs> there was a lot yeah. of like random anxiety in this one that I didn't remember from other mm-hmm. books. Like we had Jesse have a complete like obsessive anxiety moment about like I can't go skiing I can't I can't take part in the snow sculpture because I might get frostbite and lose my toes and I'll never be able to be a prima ballerina and then I'm going to die alone and I was like wait wait, what what right (laughs) way over the top that is definitely not yeah that's not the Jessie that we have seen I mean she's obviously always been very focused on dancing and that is her you know aspiration is to be a professional ballet dancer in the future but we've never seen her spiral out of control like oh if I go skiing I'm going to I'm definitely going to break something and that's going to make me never be able to dance again or if I like you were saying if I participate in the snow sculpture what if I get frostbite and my toes have to be amputated or fall off like way to take it to the extremes (laughs) Jesse it was not not expected from her I mean, pretty much everybody was amped to 11 in terms of extreme reactions mm-hmm. to everything. Like, uh, to the degree that it was, it was kind of out of character, or not necessarily out of character, but just over-exaggerated in a way mm-hmm. that didn't feel realistic. Like, we've certainly seen Marianne Moon before, but I will tell you what, I was ready to, like, fucking throw the book across oh the room to listen to her talk about how much she misses Logan and can't live without him one more time. Christy is always competitive, but, like... She's the worst. She's literally pushing somebody to break a leg. Like, awful and so rude to everybody. Dawn is – well, I don't even know what the fuck Dawn was doing in this book because it's so not like her – I mean, I guess I kind of appreciate that that she, like, is recognizing that, you know, she she didn't want to be embarrassed in front of people and was putting pressure on herself. But I think it would – it was kind of a weird choice to make her be, like – insist, I'm actually a good skier. I actually know, you know, what winter – we've – we do this stuff with my family, so I'm not feeling out of my depth as California Dawn the way that they made it sound mm-hmm. in the back of the book. But I actually think that would have made more sense if, like, this was just completely out of her comfort zone and then she was feeling very out of place rather than this weird, like, in-between thing that was happening there. I, I don't know. It was just also uh, – everybody just seemed a little, like, 
amped up to 11. Well, mm-hmm. what, where, where Dawn's concerned, there's a lot to be said about doing something that you know that you're good at and then failing utterly and completely and how that uh, impacts you so much worse than, well, I don't really know how to do this uh, and I'm going to fall down. Uh, she knew how to ski. She knew how to skate. She knew what she was doing, but she just couldn't do it. Uh, she was just discombobulated. And every time she failed, she failed harder because I think part of her was saying, but you know how to do this. What's wrong with you? Kind of like that lack of self-compassion moment where you just get worse and worse and mm-hmm. worse the more you, you're you shitty to yourself. Uh, and I think that's what was happening with Dawn is like the very first time it was like, oh yeah, everyone falls down. And then it was like, oh no, I'm falling down everywhere. And the more she tried, the worse she got. And, and I actually kind of understand why she was so upset about it because she was like, Oh, I thought I was going to be good at this and, or I have been good at this and now I'm not. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. You're right. I think I was just getting already getting cranky by that point. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, (laughs) okay, Dawn. I I feel like they could have done a better job of articulating that that was what Dawn's issue was. Because when she has that whole conversation with Pinky and, you know, Pinky's talking about how at home she can do anything and here she, because she's homeless, not homeless, oh God, because she's homesick. <laughs> I'm sick. Because she's homesick, um, you know, she, she feels like she has to sort of build herself up. She doesn't want her the kids in her class to see that she's sad and missing home, but that's just making her be an asshole to everyone. And Dawn sort of tries to like make that fit for her. And it's like, well, I, when I went on this trip last year, I didn't really know anyone yet. So I didn't care what they thought of me. And now that I care what they think of me, but I really think it, it is more what you were saying, Jen, like she's just sort of getting in her own way. And she, she, she's like, I'm, I'm better than this. I know how to do this. And it's making her sort of second guess herself and get into her own head a little bit. And I feel like that would be a much more, I don't know impactful result of her storyline as opposed to like, oh, I don't want the kids in my school to, you know, make fun of me. And so I feel angry. I Yeah, I, I think that was my bigger problem with Dawn's is like, I'm fine with her being not good, but I would like a better explanation as to like why she's feeling the way she is and reacting the way she is. Yeah, I honestly, I think as you described it, Jen, thinking about it, I would have liked that plot for Christy, where like she was getting so caught up in the competitiveness of it that it caused her to like sort of get the yips and underperform in that mm-hmm. way, and like how that was sort of and and have that be her like come to Jesus moment <laughs> um, about you know not being able to compete and like being better at being a leader of a team than someone who's also competing. But I mean, even that whole winter war thing, like. Well, first of all, talk about, you know, how we skipped over um, the the chapter with the descriptions of everything. The detailed descriptions of how they ran every single one of these events, like down to the, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to split everybody up. And this is what happens. And then this is how we earn mm-hmm. points. I was like, I, I don't know about you, but by the third one, I was like, I don't, I don't care. I'm I don't care anymore about any yeah. of this because none of it matters. Like, logistics. Like, like, nothing, nothing, like, even if you win, like, what do you win? You win the knowledge that you won and a oh, piece right, of right. pizza. A piece of pizza. <laughs> a single piece of pizza. You know what I got better? I read some books and I got a full personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that was the same timeline. <laughs> Apparently, you should have been getting trips to Vermont for ski lodges. Man, Pinky's like, I read 72 books. I was like, I read 72 books in a month. Where was my trip to freaking Colorado? Right? 
It was just, uh, it, it, it was, I, I think my biggest overall complaint with the, the book in general, and this is something that's come up and is getting more clear with each super special, is that by the nature of how they have them set up with everybody having their own chapter and everybody having their own plot, it feels so disjointed. Like, we don't really get to see the girls together. I did kind of appreciate that they use that a little bit more this time, um, more effectively this time, and, like, getting to hear Dawn's perspective on the fight and mm-hmm. then see it again from Marianne's perspective. So at least we are seeing some of that. But I think I would really love to figure out a way to do these super specials where they are are doing more of that, where we're seeing the same things happening from different perspectives um, or some overlap in anything, because then it, it, that would mean the girls have more to do with each other. But like uh, Mallory was completely off in her own world in this one. Stacy, I mean, we were joking about Mallory having a nothing plot, but Stacy falls in love. It's the, it's a retread of the, her same mm-hmm. plot line in Sea City and on pretty much every super special and, and with even less detail. Mm-hmm. They, they're just like she gets the big introduction. Meet cute is, as you said, with him, with Pierre, which side note, the the names oh my in this God, book I have are a note. next Pinky, level. Teensy, Pierre, Guy, like, oh, my God. What was it? Dimples. Yeah. Dimples. Dimples. There's someone named Dimples. <laughs> to be fair, that Dimples was a stage That's name. That's true, and uh, so but was still, Stinky, but it's still a MTV, crazy name. But like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I made a note about they have run out of names. Oh yeah, they were clearly just having a very good time. But then, so anyway, they have the meet cute. She meets Pierre, and then we, I think, get maybe one chapter with her in the middle, and then one for their close up, and then she's just sort of out of it. Has nothing to do. She doesn't really help with the kids except for that first outing when she meets him and then she's just sort of gone and i mean i know that they're not official babysitters for the for this they're not getting paid and nobody seems to be too pissed that she's not helping out but like she is part of the club and they're all christy whether she asked them or not did volunteer them all for this Mm -hmm. and she she's just kind of like okay never mind bye yeah uh yeah i actually (laughs) noted each of the chapters uh with their and no we have chapter eight by stacy and chapter 22 and that's that's it. That's all we get. Really? Yeah, we completely wow, skip that is, yeah. everything with them. And it's just other people. Uh, Mallory talking about how they're kissing all the time, and then Stacey being like, "And we um, got a kiss." They were exploring second base, and that was her. Yeah, that probably. was her big <laughs> revelation for the for that trip. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's perfect. Yeah, I, that's what I thought too. Like they're in the library, and Mallory wants to know when a boy, what a boy and a girl do when they're kissing. I was like, well, first of all, they're exploring second base. Yep. <laughs> and- <laughs> uh, Mallory's going to get an eyeful. I do like. Was it was it Marianne or Dawn in their first chapter? They're like, it's going to be a very competitive week for Christy because I literally just wrote, uh oh. Yep. <laughs> and sure enough, lived up to that. Uh oh. Yep. I have to say though. All of that was, you know, minor quibbles and everybody acting, whatever. But, oh, boy, we went for a lot of the book without it, with our, you know, our normal racial stuff with Claudia's description and, you know, the introduction introduction of the fact that Jesse is black and that Stony Brook, you know, was not exactly welcoming at first. But then they, like, sort of kept bringing that back up. And then, ooh, ooh. so there's really icky stuff about race here. So what... Very briefly, what happens is, like Kate mentioned, Pinky's a dick to everybody, but Jessie assumes that it is because of her skin. She's likening her to the to the neighbor who legitimately talked about property values, which 
yeah. boy. Um, so that's taken it to a degree that we haven't really seen before. They've just been like, you know, people weren't very welcoming. So that was sort of a randomly intense detail to throw in this time. For then the message to be, hey, maybe not everything is about race. And that was the, literally the lesson that Jesse learned is maybe I shouldn't make things about my race all the time. And my head almost exploded out of my yeah. brain. I Or that didn't make sense because of how <laughs> incensed I, I yeah, was. Yeah, I understand. Mm -hmm. I, 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 flames. Flames on the side of my face. Uh, yeah, I had a couple of those of like, okay, first of all, they never say the word racist. They say prejudiced over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And the more and more I read it, the more I was like, okay, so we're not afraid of the word feminism, but we're afraid of the word racist. Uh, that's, that's a word, but like when she talks to Mallory and she just like, she was like, she's prejudiced, like my neighbor. And Mallory's like, I don't think that's what it is. And just like walks off. And I'm like, Mallory, be an ally. Come on. Yeah. And that's what's like really disappointing about Mallory in that moment is because we have seen her try to be much more like there for Jesse and supportive and like hear what Jesse's actually saying and for her to just be like, yeah, I don't think that's what it is. And then be gone. It's like, what? <laughs> this is your best friend who you are like, we have seen you be there for her. Like, why are you being like this? I mean, it's because we only have, you know, so many pages to tell this story and Mallory's are all used up. But like, what the hell? <laughs> oh, see, I took it even worse. I thought it was more that the that that's Anna M. Martin's, that was her goal, or maybe not necessarily Anna Martin or just Anna M. Martin, but it was certainly the goal of the book to say, hey, maybe, you know, not everything is about racism and maybe you should look deeper, you know, deeper issues. And so I was like, I, it wasn't even just that they ran out of time. Like that was the intention to then ha make Jesse have to have this realization where she needs to go have a family meeting to discuss it with her family that, I, 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 and this is a white woman. Right. Telling black children, hey, maybe don't be so sensitive about your race. Like, what the fuck? I, I can't. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And like, so, yes, Pinky was a sh little shit to everyone. But we did see her being more of a little shit to Jesse. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if she was. Like, so it's, it's hard to tell because, again, we're not seeing things from multiple people's point of view. No one else talks about Pinky except for, like, Jesse. And and mm -hmm. so it is hard to tell if she was being an equal little shit to everyone, or maybe if she's displaying some microaggressions that she's picked up from institutionalized racism, and so she's treating Jesse a little bit more like a servant than she is everyone else. And she's yeah, she's being mm -hmm. a little shit, but she and assuming Jessie assuming like that Jesse knows how to play poker, mm -hmm. yes, that oh, I was like, so it's that's the stuff where it's like. I feel like maybe Pinky's not just being an asshole of the same caliber to everyone. Like, oh, I would have expected right? you to know how to play poker. Like, what? <laughs> like, don't yeah. ask me any more questions. Like, just, just don't talk to me. Like, I'm sorry. That's – And then when she finally does open up, it's not to Jesse. It's to right. Dawn. Right. So that would further that hypothesis And then she well. never yeah. apologizes to Jesse for being a little shit. She apologizes to Dawn. Hey, maybe when a black person tells you – that someone is treating them differently, listen to them. Mm -hmm. What a thought. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Instead of giving all righteous and holier than thou and have to and, – and this very much tracks for the like colorblind, reverse racism nonsense of the late 80s, early 90s that was – Yeah, at know, that very end, stuffed down I, was, our throat. I actually heard Jesse say without saying it, I feel like I might be a reverse racist. And I was like, no, 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 mm -hmm. no. Well, she not, even, I actually not. just found in my notes where she, that part of this chapter, she says, 
Okay. Why was it that I had overlooked all that and focused on what Pinky had said and done only to me, like ordering me, like ordering me to get her a drink? Was it because of the bad experiences I'd had in Stony Brook with our neighbors? Probably. But did that mean I was prejudiced in some way now? I hoped not. But I knew I would need to have a long talk with my parents when I returned home from Lester Lodge. Like, what? <laughs> no. What? Jesse. No. That is not the outcome of this whole ordeal that you should be taking away from this. No. It it is and then like she the whole time that she's directing the uh talent show, she's over and over again shocked that people are listening to her because she's black. And then like it's only when she proves her worth through a ballet dance that she feels truly accepted Mm -hmm. and that her race no longer matters. Like just so much what the fuckedness about that entire plot line. And it just came so out of nowhere because this happens pretty late in the book. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I genuinely thought we were working up to having a moment with her and Pinky and talking about race and like, you know, about how she's de- like, I thought that that's where we were going because all these deep, serious, like offhand remarks. And then for it to turn into, oh no, I'm the one that's being prejudiced. Fuck that. Fuck that to straight to hell. Oof, I, I was so angry, clearly. I'm very hot. <laughs> because we're talking about the um, the talent show, can we talk about how weird that talent show sounded for the 1980s? Yeah, like, yes. so much about like, it. The references in this book that I was like, this is 1989, mm-hmm. how? Like, they're doing Singing in the Rain, Vaudeville, the Andrews Sister. Like, they reference Laurel and Hardy. And I was like, it's 1989. Where's Vanilla Ice? Exactly. <laughs> like, this is very clearly written by a person who grew up in mm-hmm. the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. for kids who grew up in the 80s and 90s. Because, yeah, the I, the that was the Laurel and Hardy and Three Stooges references. That was Stacy yeah, and Pierre. Yeah. And then all of those the, – seriously, the Andrew sisters. I was like, you mean to tell me that, like, sixth graders in 1989 know who the fuck the Andrew sisters are? <laughs> because, like, I remember <laughs> I, I, being in, like, fourth grade in uh, – no, I was a little older than that. I don't remember. Someone in 1989 did the full Ice Ice Baby and then got ripped off the stage at our talent show at grade school because he <laughs> did all of it. Um, like, I, I remember yeah. someone coming on the stage and pulling him off the stage, um, which was <laughs> exciting. But that's all I could think about. It was like, this is the same year. Yeah. So, so strange. So strange. And also strange, the full hour of legit oh scary stories oh. told to all of these children in the library all like crammed in together and the lights go out like and there's no opportunity to not do that i would have shit my pants if i was forced to listen to scary stories for a full hour before the talent show and like they did not go with simple scary stories either or like ones geared towards six and seven year olds they went with full they went straight to like Urban legend Hookman. I mean, yep. I didn't say it no. Was he the was hook they scratching like, through the roof really of her car. I have questions about that, which is even worse. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> yes, that way is creepier. that is more horrifying. But like, I, I was trying. I had notes about this, and I've lost them completely. But I, I was like, this would not happen now. Like, they just wouldn't yeah. because, like, trigger warning. Well, can you imagine the calls from parents? <laughs> like, I, I'm sure that those kids are going to go home and, like, just sob and have nightmares for weeks. And I like, also made a note I, earlier is, like, these kids got this free trip from, from reading and they may never read again. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to traumatize them. <laughs> Sorry. That was a back thought process. Like, there's a lot of trauma in this book. A lot. 
It really is. That was so weird. You're right, Kate. I didn't, I frankly, I did not really clock that too much because it was right up my speed. I would have been all in for that. But like if my brother were on the trip, if he, you know, he's two years behind me in school. So if I was in eighth grade, he would have been one of the sixth graders. And I literally, I probably would have had to call my mom to come pick him up because he would not have been able to to handle it at that age. It, especially when the lights went out, you're right. Oh my God, that is so intense. Along the super intense reference and weird reference line, like, so a combination of the both, when Dawn describes the lodge as like the outlook like from the very beginning, I was like, okay, we are really, really leaning heavy into the horror movie theme here. And also, these books are aimed at girls ages, girls and, and boys and non-binaries, but they, at the, in the 80s, they were aimed at girls, mm-hmm. let's be honest. At girls, you know, roughly ages five, six to 15, yeah. 16 on the like highest level and lowest level. And really, those kids have seen The Shining because if they have, that's some poor parenting. I'm not going to lie to you because that movie is fucked up. Well, and Dawn is even like, oh, if you've ever seen that movie, The Shining. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> no we have, have not. not. Yeah, I wrote down uh, bringing up The Shining as a reference for a hotel. Not great. Yeah. I was like, oh, boy, we're really setting a tone here. That's why I really thought we were going to lean way harder into the ghost thing. And for that to have just really oh, go nowhere. Oh, my God, nowhere. that was such a crap. Uh, like, why even throw that in? Like, just, just, it was so unnecessary. Like, I mean, I guess Marianne needed something to do other than moon over Logan. Oh, my God. But- you know, we talked about, like, the people that we identified. I was so embarrassed for Marianne. <laughs> this whole, I was like, back up. Yeah. And then, like, I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want him to think I wanted to marry him. I was like, yeah, you do, though. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I I definitely – same cringe for me through the entire book with everything that Marianne was doing. I was just like, oh, oh, honey, what are you doing? But to sort of round out the especially disappointing thing that Marianne says in this book – during the epilogue, she's talking about the um, bus ride back mm. to Stony Brook and how the boys are singing some song that has weird words. And they changed the words to be about a girl named Ethel Tynes, who Marianne refers to as, quote, this fat girl. Mm-hmm. And then she says, however, the song didn't prevent Ethel from eating three Snickers bars on the way home. Fuck you, Marianne. What the fuck? Oh, my God. She was so judgy in this book. Like, I wrote this down uh, right before we talked about the visitor being evil. But it's like, uh, Dawn (laughs) should get a dog to listen to her. Um, Marie wore heavy earrings, so her lobes were droopy. And Curtis is missing a tooth, and she prefers dentures. And I was like, you classist bitch. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Just absolutely wild stuff from Mary Ann. But I will be perfectly honest with you. I did not read the last couple of books or pages of the, I did not read the last couple of books. That would have been interesting <laughs> in this podcast. But I have not read the last couple of pages of this book because I got to that. And when she said, didn't stop Ethel from eating three Snickers on the way home, I literally threw my phone across the room because uh, I was reading mm-hmm. it on my phone. And I was like, no, I'm done. I can't do it. I was already so apoplectically angry about the bullshit reverse racism to then just randomly and blithely throw in the most toxic fat phobia out of absolutely fucking nowhere, apropos of nothing, for no reason. And then to put that in Mary Ann's mouth, Mm -hmm. who's supposed to be the sweet, sensitive, empathetic one, so that we're supposed to, I I mean, that only, the only thing I can take from that is we're supposed to agree with Mary Ann in this moment. Mm -hmm. We are not supposed to interrogate that at all. 
And I, I can't, I can't, I almost, I legitimately almost started to cry. Clearly one of my big triggers, I'm, I'm in therapy for my own disordered mm-hmm. eating and body image. I've, it's been something I've struggled with my entire life. And, and I'm, and I'm like, wow, gee, I wonder where I got that messaging from. I wonder where it's, it's for me, the most awful thing I can possibly be is mm-hmm. fat because Everybody else's, everybody's bad behavior gets commented on and resolved, like in their good Danny Tanner moment. And then after that's all done, after we've already had the happy ending, then I, I can't, I, I just, I feel like I'm doing that a lot this episode, but I, I, not only was I angry, I gotta tell you, I am incredibly, incredibly hurt by mm-hmm. that. It was so deeply upsetting to me and on a, like, visceral level. So clearly I'm taking these books a little too seriously, but uh, but kids are reading that. Kids read that for decades mm-hmm. and just accepted it. Mm-hmm. I, and I can't uh, – I need to stop now because I will go another hour and a half on my high horse. And, and what's funny is I was so upset by just the boys teasing. I misread what Marianne wrote and I read that it did keep her from eating three Snickers bars on the way home. And I was like – and you're happy about that, you little shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually still. I mean, I I don't know which one's worse. Is that she was like it didn't keep her from eating it, or it did keep her from eating it? But like in this in this particular book, like of all of the characters in this book, Claudia was my favorite because yeah, like everyone's had that moment where you're like, oh, the ski instructor likes me, and like, oh, he's married with two kids, right, right, right. But her, <laughs> like. Her EQ in this book was off the charts. Like how well she handled mm-hmm. the kids' sculpture contest. But I did think maybe we shouldn't have had a judge that was on either team. Maybe the judge should have been neutral, but whatever. I that was that was wild. Like the teachers thought the kids didn't have a riot over that. In my school, that would have mm-hmm. caused a literal yeah. like burn the school to the ground unfair mm-hmm. uh call and and these kids just sort of accepted that someone on if that, that's fine if you want to have claudia judge then she right. shouldn't be on a team the end like yeah you you no, don't get both right right well and right. it's not like they had a they didn't have enough teachers to have two teachers be the judges here like they had several teachers from stony brook middle school there like just have two of them like if you don't want it to just be one person deciding don't have a student and i would say even even like I, I don't think a student should be a judge even if she's not on one of the teams because mm-hmm. kids are petty you know like kids are gonna uh, i mean a good job for not choosing or- her her friends because they're her friends but like i 100 percent know that as a 13 year old i would not be able to be objective as a judge and if i were the one being judged i would never ever be able to believe that my peer was able to be objective in making mm-hmm. their decision even if objectively you know the the cheshire cat that has food coloring to make it look more fancy is the best i would still i would still be mad about it yep. I'm, I'm certain oh, yeah. as a 13 year old i'm as a However old I am now, I'm quarantine brain has made me forget. But as <laughs> as me now, I would be like, no, you can't judge this because you're friends with all those people. Like that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, as as awful as Christy was, and she was, her being upset with Claudia about that, it, like that was the least awful thing she did. Like, I mean, yes, we know Claudia didn't do that, and she should have given her the benefit of the doubt. But like, they were both set up to fail in that situation by the adults there. Like. Yep. And it goes – it's just one of those moments where we're getting that – getting to that place where it's, like, over 
uh, we've we've tipped the line of realism. I mean, not that these books were ever like hyper realistic, <laughs> but in terms of like the girl's competence, that like um, Claudia is now such an amazing amazing artist that the school needs her to judge their art contests because right? she has the best eye that exists. Like, what about the art teacher? I mean, granted, maybe they're not on this trip, but maybe. But it, it, with the whole thing, well, and also we already know from. Claudia and the new girl, or whatever, not new girl, Claudia's new friend, when Ashley Wyeth shows yeah. up, like, Ashley's on this trip, and we objectively have heard that Ashley is more talented than Claudia. So why isn't Ashley the one judging? If that, like, if that's their qualifier. Yeah, because exactly. she's not a main character. <laughs> well, right. But, like, from a, from a, from a, like, actually inside the world, like, if I were the art teacher and I knew that I had... Claudia, who is very talented, or I had Ashley Wyeth, who is like God's gift to art in a 13-year-old, I would probably ask Ashley Wyeth to be my co-judge. Mm-hmm. I, that's I all to say, though, Ashley I would not one. ask any student to be the co-judge no. because that's ridiculous. Or or if you're going right. to have a student be a co-judge, you need one from each team to be co-judges and then a teacher. Right. But also, where the hell were the teachers? Like, were all of the teachers just in the sauna, like, the whole trip except for that one scene? <laughs> like, yeah. where were you? They were just not there at all. And they fully let Christy, like, design and run this winter right. war. And, like, they kept talking about how it was fair it, that – um, because the other team could just have people go multiple times. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not fair. Then you have like tiredness. Right. Like none of this contest was run fairly on any level. And that's a failure of mm-hmm. the adults in this situation, mm-hmm. not 13 year old Christy. And I, like, quite frankly, it's kind of a miracle that they, that all they ended up with was one kid oh, with yeah. a broken ankle because. Like, it should have been massive amounts of drama and hissy fits and fights and, you know, kids are skiing down mountains, I guess. I mean, clearly this is not a school that is hurting for money. So most of these kids clearly have uh, talk about how they've done a lot of skiing. Mm-hmm. It's just – it seemed so negligent that of this kind of trip in general. It, it For a school just made no sense. There was – so the only even like attempt to make it school based was the extra credit assignments. And even that was optional, it sounds like, because like you said, there was no history in the last couple of years because they didn't feel like doing it. I went skiing with the band uh, and orchestra once because, yeah. And I, my dad was the band director. So I actually don't know how they got that liability handled. I, I don't. No one actually got hurt on that trip, which is a miracle with 500 kids on a trip. But there were, like, the, the slopes were crawling with parents and teachers. I just, like, everywhere you moved, that you could not do anything without a parent or teacher looking tr- directly at you. And it was just, like, such a thing. And it just, every time I was like, where are the teachers? These are 13-year-old children. Mm-hmm. Th- these are 13-year-old children. <laughs> it's, ugh, just, yeah. Like I said in my trip, that the teachers are there all over the place. That I, I found on field trips, there were more teachers, mm-hmm. not less teachers. Maybe because I had actual teachers and uh, responsible adults instead of people who said, yeah, 13-year-olds, 11-year-olds. Go for it. You take care of these. Although this did make me a little sentimental for bus trips. Mm. The, the the very beginning chapter, um, I do remember, you know, 
either well the the long ride to DC, but even just like the regular school bus when there are a bunch of different grades on there and the big kids in the back mm-hmm. of the bus and the teacher or you know somebody responsible up at the front of bus and all the hierarchy of where you could go and where you could sit and they were their own weird little Lord of the Flies <laughs> islands every time you stepped onto one. <laughs> oh, we have not talked about Marianne's obsessive Logan stuff. Like we've touched on it. But, like, Logan's saying yeah. he will die if they are snowed in. And and her just, right. like, every time she closes her eyes, she thinks that Logan's, I don't know, fucking a girl in Aruba. I'm not really clear. Um, <laughs> like, just all the time. Every time she started, like, Logan, my love, my moon and stars. And I was like, oh, no, please don't. <laughs> It drove me so batty because it was so over the top and just not very like mm-hmm. Mary Ann because she was so hung up on the Logan stuff that she really is a shitty friend to Dawn. Like, I know they kind of try to make it sound like they were both in the wrong in that situation, but I don't buy that no. they were. Dawn's, from Dawn's perspective, she was greatly upset. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get upset like that. They know that. Marianna is her best friend. Mary Ann knows specifically that Dawn does not get upset like that. So she comes in and she's like, I really want to talk to you. She pours her heart out. And Marianne fully was like, eh, whatever, fuck you. Logan is the love of my life. You can go screw off and die for all I care. I mean, it, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. But it was barely exaggerating. And and then Don has to be like, no, no, it's okay. I should have taken into account how much you miss Logan. And I was like, bitch, no. <laughs> you should not have. <laughs> I did appreciate at least that Logan was equally as insane about yes. this as Marianne was. Like, it, I mean, it, it was annoying. Uh, full stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I really liked that we also saw Logan being very, very over Extra. the top in mm-hmm. his missing of Marianne and – I'm going to die if you don't get back when I get back from Aruba and like yeah. come meet me at the airport, my love, and all of that. But yeah, I it, I feel like it's because because Marianne was sort of the like intro and outro person, and I think she had three chapters of her own. We just got so much of it because it was every single time we went back to Marianne, it was like. Oh, Logan, I missed you so much. I, I hope that you haven't met too many beautiful girls. Oh, let me write this six-page letter to you where the entire last page is just X's and O's and then realize I can't send it because it'll it won't get to Aruba until after you've left anyway. And like, girl, chill. Like Yeah, that was the upsetting thing. Not that not that she like realized that oh, this letter is too much, although thankfully she did by the end. Yes. But like at that moment, it was th- the only reason she decided not to send it is because it wouldn't get there yeah. in time. <laughs> like, not that, oh, this is, this is ridiculous. And it was just, it was another thing that just to me felt really unnecessary because she was already, like, it was happening because, as you said, Kate, that it was sort of the framing device. Like, the reason why this, the, they're collecting all the information and sharing the stories with each other. And I, it, it just seemed unnecessary. Like, we could have gone the postcard route like we had before. That worked perfectly well. Or Marianne is already the, like, historian. Why couldn't it just be her job was the documentarian of the trip and mm-hmm. to, like, write up what happened? And then that would have filled in the same uh, role in terms of, like, the reason for why we're, they're talking to us, the reader, about what's happening here without all the obnoxious, like, 
mooning. And like, I couldn't help but feel like maybe they wanted to get rid of Logan so that they wouldn't have to have the, like, what would be a normal plot line there for an actual 13, 14 mm-hmm. year old girl and their boyfriend of a year mm-hmm. on a class trip, which would be about, you know, what are we doing sexually? How much? What am I, co- like, it, it would be the Joey and Pacey mm-hmm. plot line. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably not with full sex, you know, at least second base. Something. I'm just imagining a Marianne monologue is like, and then Logan took off my bra. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm out. <laughs> yep. I don't want to see it. <laughs> no. Exactly. Please don't go there. <laughs> I understand that's not what this is, and nobody wants that. And so, it, like, that makes total sense. But it just, it was too much. You're right, Kate. It was just, I think it would have been, it would have been eye rolly, but it was because we got so much of it. That's why mm-hmm. I was so annoyed. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I yeah. even in the second chapter, I even have in my notes because the the first chapter is Marianne writing, and then the second chapter opens with a postcard from Stacy to Lane, and I even wrote in my notes, "I'm glad this isn't a shared notebook super special." And then, mm-hmm. like the next chapter, <laughs> Marianne's like, "By the way, guys, I need you all to keep this because I feel like a lot is going to happen on this trip, and I need to document it for Logan." I was like, God, "Come on, oh, God. I like the postcards better." <laughs> Yes, so much better. <laughs> I actually have the most notes on that second chapter because there was just so much going on. I remember going for for a year trying to learn how to dot all of my eyes with hearts like Stacy. Um mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. she took exactly two sentences before she mentioned being from New York City. And oh yeah, she kept comparing the food to Camp Mohawk and then talking about Gilligan's Island and I was like, "Well, now I can't stop humming that." Uh, oh, definitely <laughs> had that problem. But it says uh they stopped at a rest stop with 382 students who all brought their own lunches and she doesn't understand why the rest stop people are like fuck (laughs) you she even makes some comment about how you would think that they would want the business and kind of a i read it as kind of a snotty way but Mm -hmm. like uh, how honored are you that we're here but maybe that's just my own prejudice Mm -hmm. because i did work at a mcdonald's and i will tell you what oh yeah a bus came in that was the worst possible thing in the entire world because i don't know about you anybody working at this particular rest stop but for me as a 15 16 year old working behind a mcdonald's counter i could give a shit what our profit margin was Mm -hmm. i I didn't (laughs) care that we were making money i didn't want to serve 50 kids on a bus coming home from king's island right um i can't even imagine 320 kids walking in oh my god that would be my worst nightmare literally our our break room in at the mcdonald's i worked at was in the basement you had to go down these stairs and we would it was like the mean prank to do at night you would go when someone was on their break and stand at the top of the stair and say oh no there's a bus we need you <laughs> and like they come come running up the stairs and like pissed off so I, I felt that to my core i will remember like i remember being on the buses and, and so often i was on buses with my dad because he was band director and i was in orchestra um and i but i remember the orchestra directors and the band director to actually standing at the front and saying now listen they don't want you mm-hmm. here you will be polite yep. you will be kind or you will go back on the bus like you will clean up your own mess yep. or you will go on the bus and like i just felt like th- they were just like take your bag lunches and go sit in this cafeteria and completely like dump this place's profit margins for the day have a great time goodbye yeah oh my teachers were not messing around if we ever had anything <laughs> like that I, i'll never forget we had one teacher who would stand next to the register mm-hmm. when you went up and if you even said um he goes back of the line <laughs> like, he, like he, if you weren't there they, they he you would stand up he'd hand you your ten dollar bill you had to order instantaneously because you had to read you know while you were in line and if you even hesitated for a second he was like back of the line decide again <laughs> like it was not even he was not fucking around yeah they would walk around the ch- tables and be like clean that up 
there, there's a little bit of yeah. sauce on that yep. table. You will clean that up. Like I, I remember it, and and just these these teachers, just there's a whole bunch of shit going on with these teachers that I'm like, what this is is it's a teacher getaway, and they figured out how to frame it as, and then we let the children have fun. <laughs> well, that is true if you think about it. Like, I mean, looking back. I always thought of my teachers as old, you know, old people, but <laughs> they really were in their 20s and 30s. And, you know, if I got a week trip to a ski lodge paid for and the kids were basically running it themselves, mm-hmm. eh, I can't say that I wouldn't be enjoying the lodge <laughs> on my right. own. Although the one interaction we do have with a teacher is so over the top inappropriate with Mary Ann, where they both oh lament God. missing their lost, their like, the loves that they had to leave at home. Like, this is a grown-ass teacher who is not only crying because she's never been away from her fiancé, but then shares that information with her 13-year-old student. Who thinks she hates her. Um, yeah. Like, that inter- exchange was nice. I liked that. I but did, like, too. We didn't need to have them bond over their boyfriends. Like, what the fuck is that? That just made me so uncomfortable. Me, too. I read that a little bit differently, I think, because she knows Marianne's sad and, and like, because she's missing Logan. And I think she's trying to say this is kind of normal when you've not been away. But also, maybe don't normalize that. Maybe, like, CB, like oh, yeah, but exactly. you still have your friends here. Um but I, I think she was just trying and the to, fact like. the that she was crying the yeah, whole week. I know. Like, though. seriously, like, he, you're, you're, what? 20, 23 because you're not married in 1989. That sounds about right, right? Yep. Yep. And and you've never <laughs> been away from your fiance. And I'm like, really, really, yeah, so obnoxious. Like the, the yeah, the, the these books in some ways are really great about gender, but there's some real heteronormative bullshit that that happens um, on occasion. I did appreciate though how over the top Mary Ann was in one. In one minor regard, um, it was very early on in the book when she describes what the weather is like when they're heading out to the buses. She goes, when I woke up on Monday, the sky was the color of mercury and the air was heavy with moisture. I wrote that down. I was like, I was like what? I don't even think yeah. I knew what color mercury was at that age. I still don't. I was like, what color is mercury? Like silver? That's what didn't make sense because yeah. it's like silvery. And I, yeah. I would never describe the sky as like shiny <laughs> like that i think she was trying to say gray and i i don't know like, yeah i think someone was like how do we say gray in an artistic way the color of mercury and i'm like yeah there's there's better ways yeah it was it was uh, that very clearly it was like ooh, somebody got really excited about <laughs> uh, how something sounded and and just sort of kept it in there because okay interesting like ever so often like you're like oh yes yes 13 year olds and then you're like Oh, yes, an adult wrote this. Oh, my goodness. Over the top, over the top. Oh, and uh, I want to bring note that Teensy had been the head uh, housekeeper since 1930, and it is 1989 in this book. Yeah, I know. And she's, like, still wearing coveralls and, like, fixing the boiler downstairs. So Teensy rocks. Right. Well, and, like, Marianne's, like oh, these people are like 70, 75. And I was like, that's got to be an over, like an exaggeration because she's 13 and doesn't like, like you were saying, Lauren, like your teachers were all like so old, you know, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But they were just like, you know, normal adults that were in their 30s. But here it's like, no, they they literally probably are 75. <laughs> like Because one of them, I think Carl's talking about like growing up in the depression right? and like all of that. And I was just like, oh, I mean, if they're 75 in 1989, Sure. Yeah, they they did 
live through the depression and exactly. work through the depression. It yeah. Yeah, it was a little a little mind blowing. <laughs> I did really love as a like nostalgia flashback in that stupid way where it's not actually better, but you, you think it is because it's what we lived through. The whole listening for the school cancellation on the radio station, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like waiting for that, whether school is going to be canceled or not. And oh my God, I'm going to sound a million years old, but I'm going to say it. Kids these days just don't know the like excitement of sitting there <laughs> listening to the radio or watching tele- watching the news and like watching that scroll along the bottom, <laughs> waiting to see your school's name. But it was so funny because they the, the principal kept getting individual calls to his home and had to call into the radio station to get a message to everybody because mm-hmm. that was the most efficient way for mass communication to happen in 1989. I thought that was hilarious. I made a note about that, about like how – um, I could feel how the parents were panicking about their 12 and 13 year olds being home and shitty <laughs> because their trip had been canceled. Yep. And they're just like, please mm-hmm. tell me you're taking my child away, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole trip makes no sense. It, it really doesn't. <laughs> well, I mean, in a future super special, we're going to see the girls win the lottery and then use that money to go to California as a as a group. So right. um, realism is is definitely something that's getting further and further into the rear yeah. view. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the further, I mean, the they don't win the, the full lottery. They Fair they point. only get like five of the six numbers, so they only win like thirty thousand dollars. They're thirteen, if it's even that. <laughs> <laughs> They're thirteen, and like just everything happens to these kids. It's just wild. Um, yeah, there, of course. It, it was funny when Mrs. George, after, you know, the big storm happened and the bus flipped and whatever. She's like, nothing like this has happened before. And I was like, yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> These girls attract giant disasters wherever they go just so that they can prove how awesome they are the ultimate, taking care like, of children. Neville Longbottoms, why is it always me? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Except in, in Christy's case, she's very excited yes, that it's yes. always her. I mean, like, everyone around them is like, ah, oh, goddammit, we brought them. <sighs> Yeah, I would be like, stay away. <laughs> not again. Out Everyone's of, yeah. required to go except for you seven. You seven are not allowed to go. <laughs> I actually, so we mentioned her earlier, but I actually felt bad for Ashley Wyeth in this book mm-hmm. because, like, she didn't have any bunk with either. So the, because it's the five of them, um, Dawn and Marianne bunked as uh, preparation for maybe, hopefully, eventually one day being stepsisters. So that sort of sets up for uh, where we're heading next, as we know, into the... Mm-hmm to the nuptials and then Claudia and Stacy, obviously. So Christie's left without someone. And then Ashley agrees to, um, or asks if it can bunk with her. And Christie is like, obviously reluctant in a way that's really rude. And mm-hmm. who cares? Like, first of all, you're not sleeping very long. Secondly, they're open air bunks next to each other. It kind of doesn't matter. You're actually gonna have an easier time seeing the person in the bunk next to you than her. And then they, then they just grab their stuff and bounce and like no one mentions Ashley. Did anyone tell her? She just like walked back into the room and like, hey, where'd everybody go? Like, I, I felt bad for her. And then the whole contest thing. Yeah, having even though she is like the art genius of the world, she clearly feels some kind of rivalry with Claudia about her art. And then so Claudia's asked to judge hers. That mm-hmm. just seems like a recipe for a disaster. Mm-hmm. So I just felt bad for her all over the place. Yeah, she had yeah. she had a rough time in this book. And like, you know, I, almost as rough as Jay. God, Jay. I, 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 the Jay. biggest lie I have ever read is in this book, which is if you can walk, you can cross country ski. 
That is straight out of my notes. I said the exact same thing because I I think it was like seventh or eighth grade. We had to do cross country skiing in gym, and I was I am not I'm more athletic now than I was as a child, but I am not very coordinated or able to do any kind of like thing other than like walk and run, and that's about it. And cross country skiing was a nightmare. I mean, not just the fact that like I hate winter and I hate the snow anyway, but like. Cross-country skiing is not easy. No. And I hate it. No. It's the worst. <laughs> it is one of the most notoriously physically demanding sports. And Kristen's mm-hmm. just randomly, like, bullying people into it. I thought yeah. Jay was the most gracious person in the whole book because, you know, dancing with her at the end is show no hard feelings because <laughs> I'd have some hard feelings oh, if yeah. I got forced to cross-country too. ski and broke my ankle. Ugh. Christy, you're dead to me if that happened. Right? And let's hope <laughs> his parents aren't attorneys or know any because uh, – Somebody's getting sued in that scenario. They had to sign a waiver. You know, they had to sign that waiver that if my child dies, I won't sue anyone. Well, they couldn't have sued the school, but maybe Christy. Maybe. I don't know. Or something. Or she should have had some kind of – there should have been some kind of consequence for – I don't know. I mean, more more so than her just being like, oops, maybe I went too far. Like, it just felt well, like – Well, and Marianne's too- even like, oh, you're you're better about it now. Like, the competitiveness and, like, pushing people hot too hard. Marianne's like, well, you're not as bad as you used to be. And it's like, that's not what Christy should be taking away. Clearly, she went too far again. So it's not that exactly. she's better than she used to be. Maybe she doesn't do it as frequently. But, like, clearly she has an issue with forcing people to do things they don't want to do where they could get hurt and actually do get hurt. It's, it made me feel like like a, a full house moment where like someone would be like, oh, I bullied someone into doing this. I need to be better. And everyone went, oh, oh, Christy. And then like the whole audience went, aw. And then we got closing credits. Like that was that mm-hmm. was what we got. Yeah, exactly. The, the fact that he like danced with her at the end was so ridiculous. I was like, he no, no. He wouldn't be at that dance in the first place. He would probably still no. be in. Anyway, but they just made it so like. Uh oh, oh, Christy! Like that's a freaking broken bone, and I mean, I understand things were a little bit different in the eighties <laughs> with healthcare, but like that's a big expense. And mm-hmm. uh, anyway, it, we don't need to go down that particular rabbit yeah. hole because there's, but there's, I mean, just enough of the socioeconomic squickiness in this one, just an undercurrent of classism that mm-hmm. was just was just kind of gross. Uh, speaking of kind of gross. Uh, what were your thoughts on Guy, Guy, and Claudia? Like, at first I was – I thought it was just – that he was totally fine and Claudia was just, you know, doing her Claude thing. But I thought it was really weird that he sent her a postcard afterwards. And danced with her at the dance. The dance, yes. The dance with her at the dance was a bridge too far for me. I, and I when like he's that. teaching her at the lessons, he touches her a lot. I don't know enough about skiing, but Pretty like normal with ski instructors. Yeah, I think. I, but he was like putting his arm around her and stuff. Like she was interpreting these things as like hugs, and I don't think that that would be like adjusting her form. Like I, I don't know. The question I, is he, like, was he doing that, or was she thinking he was doing that? Was he like reaching up and like adjusting her shoulder, and she read that as he put my, his arm around me? That's kind of how I like was interpreting it that that you know she was reading into every single one of these touches when he really he was just trying to correct her form or like give her a high five. I mean or even if he did sort of give her like a half hug arm around the shoulder I, maybe a little bit but like I had swim coaches who would like congratulate you after that and that never felt weird or mm-hmm. 
you know, inappropriate. And that was even in a swimsuit. Yeah, but like, we know that Claudia is not the most subtle person when she likes someone. So he, unless he's a total idiot, you know, like, Lauren, if you had had a crush on one of those swim teachers and was very obvious about it, they'd probably be touching you not at all. Like they, they right. would be doing whatever they could to like shut that down. Whereas Guy, if he realizes it. anything, is definitely like leaning into it and like enjoying the fact that this girl has a, a little crush on him. I had thoughts about that. I had lots of thoughts about that. So he's in a service position. He has two children and a wife. And we know that she's not paying him, but the Georges are probably paying him for every lesson he gives. And yeah, mm-hmm. okay, he sees this 13-year-old making eyes at him. And he's like, you know what? If she comes back for more lessons, I get paid more. And then he gives her a private lesson, which probably gets paid more. And so he's being nice to her to get money. That's kind of how I saw it, too. Like, I saw him as kind of a Johnny Castle type, you know, mm-hmm. or that the resort, like, he part of his job, he knows, is customer service and, like, making the guests feel good about themselves. But even still, to a 14-year-old girl or a 13-year-old mm-hmm. girl, icky. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's kind of creepy. I'm not saying it's not kind of creepy. And then, like, it, it says he danced with her, but it doesn't say what he danced to her with. Like, it could have been, like, just, like, the I, uh, the locomotion or something like that. And he joined in the locomotion and Claude's like, he danced with me. I don't know. It's hard to tell exactly what happened there. Um, But at least, like, at least it was that was it. Like, yeah, I wrote you a letter. Yeah. It was nice to meet you. I danced with you. I didn't, I didn't touch your boob. I didn't like, you know, I, I think that Claude read a lot into it. And I think he also let her read a lot into that so that she would come back for more lessons. That's probably a good interpretation. And he does, to his credit, I mean, he introduces her to her to his family and like doesn't try to like, I don't know. But you're right. Claudia is not the most subtle. So it, he's got to know something. But I think actually, like, I think he did know. And I think that's why his wife showed up that day. I think that he knew that she was hard crushing on him. And he was like, Marjorie, please bring the children for lunch so that I can tell this 13 year old that she's a crazy person. That was Italian, not French, but whatever. Um, and, And like, just how do you let a 13 year old down as easily as possible? You just like accidentally, air quotes, show up with your family. Fair point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. It's still squicky. I'm not saying it's not squicky. I'm just like trying to give him a little bit of you're in a service position and I don't really blame you for milking the system for money. Fair point. I I really, to be, to be honest, I didn't find him creepy at all until the dance moment. And then I was like, ooh, is that a good idea? And then the postcard on top of that just felt a little, I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, that, that like, the postcard sense was where I went a little uh, too bridge too far. Unless, yeah. looking at it from that perspective, if he knows she's this great skier and she really likes skiing with him, and clearly this school is a school with a lot of money, maybe he's trying to like butter her up so that her, her family comes to right. the lodge and you know takes more lessons with him. So uh, th- that definitely is open to interpretation. And he's an immigrant. Let's also mention that he's he's in That's he's true. definitely an immigrant. And so uh, I think that was part of why they put that accent in so strongly because perhaps where he's from it's far more normal to be that close and touchy. Up, yeah. Uh, and touchy feely because there are different cultures. And and so like again, 
Uh, I'm not trying to excuse any potential grooming that's going on here, but I am thinking that maybe there's not as much grooming as as it seems from Claudia's point. Pr- like Claudia's perspective, if we had a Guy chapter, he'd be like, so this kid came in and she yeah. wants another lesson and she made eyes at me and it's really annoying and I'm 30 and I just want to go home and take a nap. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to call my wife so she can bring the kids in and put this to yep. bed easily without me having to be awkward and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Okay, we're going to go with that. Guy, good guy who just wants to make a buck. <laughs> We're already kind of sort of on our random thoughts. One of the ones that, that popped out for me was the, the love you lots sign off with the LYL and then the love you lots like going down vertically. I, I think it was, was that Stacy's card? Yeah, I think that was her postcard to Lane. Because I immediately went, oh my God, I remember doing that. I tried to emulate mm-hmm. that for a while because mm-hmm. I tried the heart eyes, but I was not very good at that. Like I, just I was kept not very good at it either. And it took too long and I got annoyed. So I tried to incorporate other stuff. And, and that one was definitely part of my, part of my bag of note passing tricks for mm-hmm. a couple of years there. Definitely. And speaking of Stacey, I really loved this when she is talking about snow and loving the snow. This is a quote from the chapter eight. Um, I, lo- I looked outside at the snow. I happen to love snow. We didn't get all that much of it when I lived in New York City. My personal theory is that the city is too warm for snow. It's warm from body heat. Millions of people live there. Plus, the sidewalks and streets are warm because so much stuff goes on underneath them. Subways, underground stores, and banks. That sort of thing. Like, I just love that because it, it's like such a, a kid way of thinking about things. And maybe that is part of the reason why New York doesn't get as much snow or I don't know. But I, I just love that she's like put thought into it because she loves the snow, but she never really got to see as much of it as she would have wanted in the city. So she came up with a reason why there wouldn't be enough snow or as much snow. I thought that was so cute. But it did also give me some global warming feelings because she's like, yes, a blizzard in New York City. No way. And I'm like, mm. Two years ago. Was it two years ago now? Yeah. And they had a pretty massive blizzard. So, yeah. Uh, my how the world changes in 30 years when we yeah. don't stop our absolute gutting of the environment. Go figure. Uh, what a thought. <laughs> yeah, I had that exact same thought. I was like, didn't they just have like a real big blizzard? Oh, my God. That was three years ago before the world ended. Cool. <laughs> Time has no meaning. <laughs> right. Ugh, I, it's lost all of it. Um, oh I also God. really enjoyed how Stacy was like so eye rolly about where Mallory was hiding her journal. Like she's like, I also saw Mallory grab her journal out from underneath her uh, mattress. Who does she think she's kidding? And I, no, <laughs> I don't know I why, that. but that made me laugh really hard. And I did really, really like, and it felt very realistic. The whole Claudia stopping and pointing out every single candy machine that she could find. Yeah, that was definitely Claudia. Yeah, very Claudia, very in character, but also very true to life. Like, I do definitely remember that was one of the things that I was always super excited about when we would go to a hotel. Like, Mm -hmm. let's go check out the vending situation. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's something about being away from home and, like, having access to that in a way that you wouldn't normally because you didn't have to, like, leave and go to a store or just felt very thrilling. So I felt Claudia very deeply in that moment. You know, um, I was actually going to bring this up with the Ethel thing in the uh, bus before we got really angry about it. I actually had the thought of, um, because Claudia's EQ in this book is just so great. I almost felt like Claudia was the one that just like handed her a Snickers bar. It was like, they're being shitty here or something like that. Like I would not put that past Claudia from this book. She was just so in tune with so many things um, for so many people. And like, she always has candy. That's why I, I, like I 
when you asked me like who I would quarantine with, it would be Claudia because she would have she would have mm-hmm. the snacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she has the best snacks in quarantine, and you know it. But like, I can just see her like these boys being shits to Ethel, and the teachers doing nothing because. Like, okay. Uh, and just like her handing her like two stickers bars and me like, here, they're being assholes. I'm so sorry. Like, I can't do yeah. anything about it because if I say anything, then they're going to make fun of me. And I really don't want them to make fun of me because I'm Asian and they're going to be shits about that somehow. So here, have a Snickers bar. <laughs> yeah. I, mm-hmm. I like that. Head cannon accepted. Yeah. <laughs> Change I approved. Like it too. It, but Marianne was still a shit. I want to be very clear that <laughs> she was still a fat phobic asshole there. Yeah, but I 100%. but I like your body interpretation for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, we didn't talk about feminism. We like we oh touched yeah. About it. Well, we should. Uh, yeah. So the feminism was in reference to there was one of the little girls. What her name is Kara, um, of the of the little kids that got stranded that the BSC is watching and she was very feisty. And I think my favorite moment of it was when Marianne tried to make up for the fact that she hasn't been doing anything by writing a play in which Kara <laughs> chucks out her cheating boyfriend. <laughs> and like, I, and she's like, well, Kara's a, Kara's a little feminist. She seemed like the type who would, you know, go along with, go along with this. She'd probably like it. And I was like, Oh boy, Marianne. And Ian's oh a little misogynist asshole. So he's the cheating boyfriend. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I loved that. I just thought it was really, I mean, this was the first time that there has been an explicit reference to feminism in general as a as a term. And yet, it, it was sort of a weird place for it to be in mm-hmm. reference to this little girl, because mm-hmm. uh, like every member of the BSC is actively living out feminism in all of these books. That's one of the main reasons I loved them so much as a kid. And so then to to like dub this little like kid feminist, it was funny. I thought it was a weird a weird cute little quirky thing. Well, yeah, it is, but definitely. I mean, yeah, you say for the 80s they are living out feminism, but they are very much ensconcing their gender roles in what they That's do. True. Like they are very gender role dependent. Like it's very weird that Logan is a babysitter, you know, because he's a boy and boys don't babysit. But Kara was like, What do you mean, snowman? Can't it be a snow woman? And they're like, uh, yes. And then someone made us an alien or something like that. And they, they went with snow creature, but she purposely sculpted a skirt onto her snow woman and like she was very very questioning of why does it have to be this way and i think that's why she framed her as a feminist because she wasn't just living as though she was equal she was questioning why they weren't equal um which was the big difference back then Mm -hmm. that's really true and you're right that the the gender role thing in particular like there there are that's why it's so interesting with this whole series is there are ways that you know they are so you know they run their own business they're so mature and responsible and in charge and you know girls get shit done but all of those all of catchphrases those types of things yes thank you or all of those like girl power markers from mm-hmm. the 90s but you're exactly right they do lean in pretty hard to those gender roles that the whole you know constantly having a boyfriend and being in love thing although i did i mean as much as we've joked about what stacy's up to this time i we do actually see a pretty marked shift in her maturity towards her previous crushes and mm-hmm. 
Pierre. I mean, I guess part of that is he's age appropriate and likes her back right away, so that there's which is less what oppor- you know, nice. Yeah, for, it was it was the reverse of um the one with the beach where she falls in love, boy crazy Stacy, which was actually yep. the very first thing I wrote about Stacy was boy crazy Stacy uh for the meet cute. But I, it was a complete reversal from the the boy crazy Stacy where she falls in love with the you know sixteen year old who's a jackass. This time she fell in love with someone who was actually age appropriate and liked her back. And Claudia fell in love with someone who was much older and was less of a jackass. That was nice for Claudia, but to still have inappropriate. That yeah, yeah. It's still completely inappropriate. But you know, I think we all did that at like thirteen to fifteen, mm-hmm, especially sure. in the eighties, because there was such an an emphasis in the 80s of like you have to get married as soon as you graduate high school was like the feeling that I got I don't think anyone mm-hmm. actually said those words but like you started like oh yeah he'd be he'd be a good husband I don't know how husbands work but that that would work mm-hmm. um and it's like this is a completely inappropriate person for you to be thinking about marrying <laughs> Yeah. And I think that that's part of it makes sense, especially for girls that are as mature as they are to like be attracted to the older boys in that way, because Mm -hmm. they're more on their level than, for example, show off Alan Gray, as they called him like 17 times in this book. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I even noticed a difference in how Stacey talks about Pierre versus any of her previous love interests. Like there's no capital L-U-V love Mm -hmm. anywhere. Marianne's the one doing all that. And in fact, at the end of, of their time together, she's rather philosophical. And it it even asks, you know, what does it mean to be in love? And if it's these things, that's how we feel about each other. As opposed to like, I love him, we're going to get married. And and then she even, I I really liked when she was talking about crushes, about how she feels about him, is blown away, you know, every crush that she's had before. And I vividly remember that feeling as a preteen and as a teenager Mm -hmm. that, you know, every crush made the crush previous look like, you know, nothing in comparison and I've never felt this way before and it's so intense and I liked that we got a slightly more mature version of that from Stacy this time mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. way similar to what you were you were saying about them not um actually like interrogating their own feminism Jen uh, they don't often interrogate their own romantic interests mm-hmm. and Stacy in particular doesn't so I thought that this was a a nicely well-measured version of um, of that. And I also thought, along those same lines, I thought it was interesting that we we got, like, explicit references to Will and the fact that they're still talking in this book because he has not been mentioned in any of the regular books. I think maybe in passing once very, very briefly, but, like, Claudia's talking about boys. She has certainly not been like, and I talked to this boy, Will, that I met at camp, you know, every mm-hmm. time. Well, to be fair, her, I think her last, the last Claudia book we had was The Sad Goodbye. So I know I've mentioned this a couple of times now, but since they sort of have hit pause, the timeline stuff is is not as fun to yarn wall, except within the book, as we're discovering. Uh, but this one, you know, they said at the at the front, we're leaving Monday, we're coming back home Friday, and that's what happened. So there wasn't any kind of wonkiness that way. The only thing I will mention is they do mention that they had gone on this same trip last year in the seventh grade. And we saw them go through seventh grade and this was never mentioned at all. And I thought that too. Mm -hmm. I was like, but 
Why has no one ever mentioned this before? <laughs> exactly. And then the timeline with when Dawn came into the books and she had been on the trip last year, but didn't really know anybody. Like, was she friends with the Babysitter's Club yet? It's it's very unclear. So apparently this happened in a pocket universe somewhere and we just yeah. never heard about it. Or or something unspeakable happened last time. And I was about to say, or the Georges ate everyone is what happened. <laughs> Except for the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> we'll never speak of last year's trip. They saw unspeakable horrors. <laughs> Men in Black came in and flashed the little uh, memory rays and just wiped it all out. Yeah, that was my last little observation other than the the one I have in all caps is I am a firm believer in dentures. And I know you mentioned that, Kate, but I just can't. Like, the number of <gasps> questions I had about that statement, like, what the fuck <laughs> on every level? So that pretty much gets my what the fuck award for for the book. So one sort of random thing that I think will maybe lighten the mood after our <laughs> feelings on Marianne, you know, Jesse asks the Conway Cove kids if they want to be in the fa- – not the fashion show, the talent show. We'll get to fashion, everyone. Don't worry. <laughs> but she asks the Conway Cove kids if they want to be in the, the talent night. And um, one of the little girls whose name is Ginny, she says that she can re- recite Shakespeare because her sister is in the <laughs> drama club. And this yes. this is her quote from Shakespeare. I loved this. A bee – or not a bee? This is a question. If it's more noble to die, well, then I'll just have to die with my boots on. <laughs> I was like cute. laughing out loud at that. that. So it was so much. cute. And then Jesse was like, I've never read Shakespeare, so that sounds good to me. Yep, why not? <laughs> I do sounds like that she notes quotable. She goes, it doesn't sound quite right, but you know, I, I've never read Shakespeare, so I'm gonna, I, I, don't, I can't s- disagree with her. So, oh my God, it was so funny. You're right. That was a really oh my cute God. And, and, and like, she's doing really well. And you're like, oh, I see where she got there. And then, oh, to die with my boots on. What? Where did that? No. Wasn't that a thing? Was that from a movie? Was that like a Dirty Harry or I, I feel like oh, that I'm was. Oh, I'm sure it was. A, dying with your boots on is like ringing bells is like. Yeah. Oh, I don't think it's, it's Shakespeare, definitely a though. Thing. It was more of like oh, not sh- everything else sounded kind of Shakespeare adjacent. And then all of a sudden it was like, and to die with my boots on. He'll never quit. It's it's a idiom that means somebody who's, you know, like yeah. working until they die. But the origin was from frontier towns, the old west. Hmm. I just okay, googled then. it. So here in Canada, and I'm gonna give you more cultural idioms, one of the things that they say here is fill your boots when they're like, go for it. Oh. Um and apparently it's like a soccer idiom, like because they call the soccer cleats boots and fill your boots means like Go for it. I like that. I like that a lot. I've never heard that before. That's great. Me too. The first time my mother-in-law said it to me, I said, what? (laughs) (laughs) And my husband's like, I don't think they use that one in America, mom. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, there's – I think like the closest might be would be like lace up your boots, like get ready to go. Mm -hmm. But I like it. Fill your boots. Do it. Go for it. I dig it. Sorry. Moving on. Cultural idioms are a thing. I love them. <laughs> I like that. Well, speaking of filling your boots, Kate, you you said we were going to get to fashion. I, I didn't really notice a ton. Was, am I missing something or? I mean, I have I have two two descriptions which are not at all interesting. Like <laughs> I I was really, really looking forward to this book because usually in the super special, since we have all of the girls narrating, we get a lot more descriptions. And here we have, you know, ski attire, opera ski attire. Like I I was Mm -hmm. expecting to have pages and pages just devoted to fashion. And I do not. And I am disappointed. (laughs) 
Me too. I really wah, wanted wah. to hear like all about like a powder blue snowsuit, ski suit, and like <laughs> like the with the with hair. giant bangles on it. Though yep. it wouldn't be just like a powder blue. It would like be like uh, that she hand painted eyes on, yep. or something like. Yep. That. Or like a, a one of those designs where you look like those paper cups with the like teal and pink swirl. <laughs> <laughs> But sadly, we were deprived of all of that fashion goodness that I'm sure, had we been able to jump into the book, would have seen some amazing ski attire, especially for Claudia, since she is such an expert skier and has all her own Mm -hmm. gear. You know she has a bunch of different snowsuits that are probably all fabulous. But instead, we get a description of what Jessie tells Mallory she should wear to the dance, which is a red and white sweater with her jeans. It's a nice outfit. Okay. I mean, it's a fine outfit. <laughs> yeah. And then Teensy, the like groundskeeper manager person, is wearing blue jean overalls, a plaid shirt, and a paint spattered baseball cap, despite her age. Like, okay. Yeah. Are we not allowed to wear overalls after a certain age? Apparently. That I well, that's one of those things that you're not supposed to wear over 30, I guess, baseball caps that are splattered with paint and, uh. and I don't know, <laughs> one of those stupid things, along with jetpacks and yeah, um, white after Labor Day. <laughs> so many rules. Uh, they mentioned the the little girl who tap dances to Singing in the Rain and someone screwed her over uh, wearing a, a raincoat. Yeah, that was cute. Oh, yeah, they started that the music. That sounded adorable, and, then, and I felt so bad for her. I felt so bad for Dimples. I know, but then I really did enjoy how Jessie's like, well, then when it, she just sort of gave up and demonstrated her best steps to prove that she she does know what she's doing. <laughs> I was like, okay. The whole point of a talent show. And I like how Jessie keeps saying, like, she just decided to do the Swan Lake dance, but she also just happens to have the right you know, costume to, to, to do that. Yeah. You know, she just decided. But like, uh, I did think a lot about that dance of like, what kind of monsters are these teachers that they didn't like say, maybe bring something nice in case we do something nice. And oh, n- no one gave a crap. Like none of the adults in this book gave a crap about anything, but like being in the sauna. <laughs> yeah. I, exactly. Like you would think that you would know that there was going to be a dance at the end of the week. Um, that's usually one of the things that they tell you ahead of time. So bring pack, you know, X, Y, Z. Well, but, I think the Georgias decided to just throw this dance for they, them. They decided oh. to do it randomly because it didn't happen last year. Right. Gotcha. Um, so they just were like, you know what we'll do? Throw a dance. And I'm sure there will be absolutely no angst from teenage girls who are here <laughs> um, at all. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good point. I like it. Even the little kids have to be like, "We want to no, but we want to look good." <laughs> I thought that was so cute. Mm-hmm. He had a bow tie. A bow tie. Why did he have a bow tie? I, well, because clearly his mom packed for him as uh, whoever was <laughs> at dawn. Why would you send your child with a bow tie to a ski vacation? Like, why? Got to be prepared for anything. <laughs> I mean, we got to remember oh these are underprivileged kids who've probably never been in this kind of privilege before. So the parents probably wouldn't know what to pack. Ugh, the way that they talk about socioeconomic stuff is just icky. I'm going to be rude. Uh, but you know they were all white because mm-hmm. Jesse would have brought up if one of them wasn't or someone would have. Yeah. They would have just thrown in as like, and Timmy was black. Oh, and by the way, I really should <laughs> mention they're black. That's how it always comes across. It's so <laughs> gross. Yeah. It's 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 very weird. They alternatively like are very casual with it and then also like it's a dirty word sometimes. It's very strange. I- I had a moment where I read that. I was like, oh, my God, Marianne, you can't just say someone's black. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, you can. But it's just like I feel like everything with Jesse is so 
tied up with, like, they have to point out that she's black. Like, yeah, we know that Claudia is Japanese-American, but I don't feel like they bring it up every time they mention Claudia. But, like, and I don't I don't know if this is um, Jesse being um, self-conscious about it or everyone just being self-conscious about it or institutionalized racism, a little bit of all of those mixed into a salad. But, like, she's like, I was the only black seventh grader. I, mm-hmm. like, as a black ballerina, I'm weird. And, and then, like, people are like, she's black. Like, I don't think this is weird, but she's black. It's like, yeah. uh, I know we can Got see it. that. It's like, they never want you to forget that she's black, but you can forget that Claudia's Asian American. Exactly. Anytime. And mm-hmm. so we've had some conversation about that, about how that's on, uh, how that's problematic in both directions. Like the fact mm-hmm. that 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 Claudia's nationality and heritage is just completely ignored and is not a ever an explored part of her personality, or a, a, like other than the fact that Mimi made special tea, her Japaneseness is mm-hmm. like kind of a nothing burger. Whereas Jesse's blackness is one of her defining characteristics. And there's oh yeah, there's really icky that's yeah anyway there's a lot yeah there's not enough time in the world to talk about all of that but <laughs> exactly yeah. i did like how the the netflix series so we haven't really delved into jesse i'm really interested to see how that goes next mm-hmm. season um but i did like how when they talked about mimi making special tea in the netflix series they actually showed she was doing a tea ceremony she was using the yes. the, the whisk and, mm-hmm. and doing like that explains a lot about claudia's japanese-ness without making it so about her being Japanese. Exactly. You know, she is of Japanese descent. This is important to her family, but we don't have to be like, and she's Japanese. We're going to throw a parade. Yeah. Um, it doesn't need a big bow around it. Uh, like, look how great we are for bringing in this cultural, you know, touch point. It's just a, a fact of life for their family. Um, and is, is just a normal, the, a normal part of their, their culture. So I agree. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I do feel a little bit bad because I feel like I've been railing about the things in this book that made me so angry, but I, I don't want to give the impression I did not enjoy reading it and, until the very end. I really did. I had a good time. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It, a lot of it was coming back to me. I was very remembering, like, I grew up in Cincinnati near a ski slope called Perfect North that we used to go to when I was older than than in high school, you know, when we could take ourselves. And I would just hang mm-hmm. out in the lodge like Marianne and read and drink the hot chocolate. And I, it, it was so pretty. It did make me miss it. So I I, I don't want to leave a wrap up with giving the impression that I hated this book because I certainly didn't. It was definitely an entertaining read. I enjoyed the time that I spent with it. There were just a lot of things in here that uh, like more so than Let's usual. Going, what the fuck? Exactly. <laughs> what about you both? I know we've clearly been ranting a bit, but overall, were, were you thumbs up, thumbs down, neutral? I was... It sounds like you were super into it. I it was fine. It was on the more positive side than of neutral, but I wouldn't say super into it, but I enjoyed it. It it's not it's definitely not my favorite babysitters club book and it's definitely not my favorite super special. But it, I yeah. didn't hate it. Yeah, I, I I think I got a little bit too caught up in being the grown up on this trip. Um, like imagining myself as the other hotel guest and be like, what is happening right now? Why? Um, but it had definitely some, some good moments and some like, um, seeing things from different perspectives, which I always liked from the babysitters club is that they would have like a problem and then they like realize that the problem that they think they have is not the one they ha- think they have. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but like as a whole, I just kind of was like, eh, it was, it was, it was neutral, maybe a little more positive than neutral, kind of meh. But I mean, it was a fun read to, to remember like what it was like to be 13 and obsessed with, uh, am I ever going to see this boy again? He moved yes. to Aruba and now he, or like he's visiting Aruba and now he's going to move there permanently because he's gotten married while he was on vacation or <laughs> yes. something. Like, I yep. mean, we all had those drama moments when we were kids and, and it was kind of nice to remember like, oh, I was absolutely that weird. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. I definitely, I think one of the reasons I reacted so strongly to Marianne's mooniness is because it was, I, I remember that feeling in myself and like writing shit like that in my journal and like cringing just thinking about it. But mm -hmm. I definitely, I, I think I might have oversold it a little bit. It certainly wasn't my favorite and I didn't love, love it, but I did have an enjoyable time reading it. Uh, that was sort of my overall um there are worse ways to spend a couple hours than hanging out with the girls in a ski lodge, you know? All right. Well, we have clearly covered this book pretty exhaustively to this point. And I did mention earlier that we have some allusion to what is coming next. Uh, our next book in the series is Marianne and the Great Romance. And I can vividly recall the cover of this one. Isn't this the one where she's like in a bridesmaid's dress throwing a, the bouquet over her shoulder? I think. I do not recall and I didn't look at the cover of the book. So I... Me either. I've been trying not to, to not jog, uh, to see what I can actually mm -hmm. remember. But I, I want to say that that's the cover of this one. Or maybe that's the one when Dawn's dad gets remarried. Because there was like, there one where they went to California. Either way. I'm not, like we said, we're we're... 90% sure that um, the next two books are when they get married. I'm going to say they get married in this next one. And Marianne's is all focused on the like planning and lead mm -hmm. up to the wedding itself. And then Dawn's is about joining the families. And well, where I guess we're getting ahead in our predictions. But yeah, like what what happens post wedding? Right? Yeah, I, I based on the the t titles of the next two books, I think that's I don't know that there's anything I can add because I think definitely great romance means wedding. Wicked stepsister means blended family living together for the first time for me. I agree. The only thing I can think of prediction-wise that might be interesting in the next book is maybe something going on with Don's grandparents and Marianne's dad because we know that oh, yeah. they didn't approve of him in high school. So that may come back in some way. Or they may have just kind of dropped that. They mentioned that briefly at the beginning of of their reignited courtship, but have not mentioned that since. So that'll be interesting to find out. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm interested to see, because presumably Jeff will come back for his mom's <gasps> oh, wedding. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, and this is obviously we're sort of getting into the next two books now that we're sort of talking about them together, but I would be interested or I would predict that Jeff being around is going to make Dawn sort of see Marianne as her see Marianne in the capacity as her stepsister in a very like different way because she's going to only remember the good times with Jeff and Jeff is only going to be visiting so they're going to be sort of on their best behavior and like enjoying the time that they have together because he doesn't live there anymore so she's going to sort of be mm -hmm. idealizing her relationship with Jeff and sort of dealing with Marianne not just being her friend that lives across town that she babysits with, but that she now has to live with and presumably, like, share a bathroom with and, you know, deal with all the time instead of just, you know, when they're hanging out as friends. So I think – I think, and obviously that is probably going to be Dawn's Wicked Stepsister as opposed to the next book. So 
I don't know if I have any additional predictions for the next one specifically, but that that's my thinking since I think my guess is that Jeff will be around for the next two books at least. Yeah, I think the next one for sure. Okay, so any final club business? Why don't you just remind everybody where they can find us? Because I'd love to hear from everybody. Well, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GenerationBSC, or you can email us at GenerationBSC at gmail.com. And Jen, I don't know if you want to plug yourself, you know, what your podcast is, remind everybody what your Instagram, Twitter, any of that. I would love to. Um, so you can find me on pretty much every podcatcher at Oof, right in the childhood. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Oof My Childhood. Or you can email me at oofmychildhood at gmail.com. And I have a website at oofmychildhood.com. Jen, I cannot thank you enough for coming to hang out with us today. This has been such a fun conversation. And I... Anybody who that makes me rethink something about myself and some of these favorite characters, uh, that's always going to be a good day for me. So I, I can't thank you enough for, for hanging out with us today. Yep. We really loved having you. I had a great time uh, talking with y'all, and uh, I definitely think you should tell me what your favorite Ooh. Disney movie is, and you should come talk about it. Um, and we'll, we'll have a, a good sit-down talk about something, because we're about to hit the Renaissance, which is about the same time as... Generation BSC. Yep. You got it. You know, I, oh, I have big thoughts yeah. on all of that Disney Renaissance era. <laughs> that was, that was all of my childhood. So I would love to take you up on that. Yep. Same. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm certain that Lauren and I will be expecting you to come back on our show again in the future because you've been a great guest. Absolutely. And we've loved having you. So, well, thanks so much for having me again, guys. You're welcome. Thank you again. So I guess with that, I'm Kate Vlasic and I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.